BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, it was Justin Herbert, it was Patrick Mahomes, it was Thursday Night Football. And not that old garbage Thursday Night Football that the NFL tried to pass upon us once upon a time. These were quality teams. Early part of the season, NFL knows what it's doing. It's giving us what we want to see. But here's how it sounded last night. On fourth down. Yes! Joshua Palmer. <laughs> Herbert is... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So poised. Just will not go away. Sounded like Al Michaels had the uh, Chargers and the points last night. Yes! That's what it sounded like, but I want to know what it looked like to you. Amazon on the broadcast. There's been a lot of talk today about the broadcast that Amazon Prime have. Jeff Bezos in the box with Roger Goodell. I was at my house. You were at your house. Maybe you were on your mobile device. What did it look like to you? What did you see out there? Because the Pac-12 conference is talking about maybe going digital. We'll know more, I think, in the coming days. But I, I think Amazon is a player in this space. And, and clearly, Amazon wants to get into sports. And evidently, last night, like there were a few things that I noticed on the broadcast, Anna noticed, maybe you noticed as well. But I want your feedback, because I think it's important that we crowdsource this a little bit. What was happening in your household? Was it easy for you to find Thursday night football? Was it easy for you to boot it up, so to speak? Uh, did you have any glitches as you were watching the game? Did the stream go along just fine, or were you having problems? Did your parents call you and say, I can't find Thursday night football. Help me do this. Did you find that it glitched at all? What about the sound of the game? Did you have the problem that some people had where they felt like the sound was a little muted last night on the Thursday night football game? Did you feel like the colors, the hue of the colors were right on your screen? How about the graphics? By the way, which of the broadcasts did you watch? Did you watch just the traditional Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet call of the game? Or did you opt for one of the other options that Amazon Prime offered up? I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. In part, uh, I didn't focus totally on this but uh, because we got a big college football weekend ahead, but... I thought it was a pretty interesting experiment, and it, and I, it went over really well in our household. The picture was clear. The picture was crisp. I liked the broadcast crew, especially Al Michaels. I enjoyed the graphics. I thought it was a win for Amazon and the NFL. Uh, but I'm wondering what you thought and what you saw. 503-417-7575. Back in July, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, told me on this show that he believed the Pac-12 would definitely partner with a digital platform. But he said that he still felt like the Tier 1 rights would go to a traditional linear provider, ESPN, Fox, CBS, somebody like that. After that talk, I speculated that the Pac-12 networks may be what George Kopkoff was talking about. Could you take all of the content, the games, the volleyball matches, the softball games, the baseball games that are on the Pac-12 networks, and could just slide those over to ESPN Plus or Paramount or Apple or now I'm thinking Amazon. It feels like the Pac-12 can either do one of two things here. They can either kind of settle into being like the number three, number four, number five conference of the Power Five, or 
they can try to do something big, something innovative, something outside the box. There's risk here. We know it. We've talked about it. There's risk in getting to that market too soon. There's risk in getting there too late. So this is a conference, the Pac-12 is, that has struggled with distribution, struggled to matter in the last few years. The brand has taken a hit. But I'm watching that broadcast last night, and i got to be honest with you. From an Amazon viewpoint, I thought it was brilliant. Now, there were a couple of things I noticed, like the saturation of the colors on the broadcast. Really rich. It made me wonder if Amazon was trying to aim the product at younger viewers. There is a uh, person whose job it is uh, as part of the broadcast who is uh, basically running the machinery back in the production truck that's outside the stadium. You, you get to the stadium, you see this big production truck. I know way too much about this because I've written all about the ESPN problems that they have had in broadcasting Pac-12 games that are at night. Found out that the trucks they were using were outdated, the equipment did wasn't, uh, wasn't meshing well with the cameras inside the stadium, and so the operators were having a hard time getting the picture right, or it looked like it was out of focus. You know what I'm talking about if you watch those games. Um, there's a person who is sitting with that machine whose job it is early in the game to adjust the colors. They look at the shadows, they look at the lighting inside the stadium, and they'll adjust your picture at home. So I have been told by people who are in that industry Watch in the early part of the game. You'll watch that operator sort of finding where the colors are supposed to be. What color is the grass supposed to be? What is it supposed to look like? And usually by about the second or third series of the game, they have it locked in. But you'll see some variances as they switch cameras early in the game where the grass will look a little greener in one shot and then not as green in another shot, and then it just it's just a little off. And so that person's job is to kind of get that all to sync up and look the same. Well, I noticed last night that the, the hue and the colors on the broadcast, really bright, really rich. And it made me think about video games. And, it may, and I wondered if they were aiming the Amazon broadcaster at younger viewers for that reason. Um, Anna, who has worked in television for a couple of decades... She's got a better eye than I have. She noticed the colors right away. I was looking at the football. I was listening to Al Michaels and Kirk Herdstreet, and she was like, man, the color's really bright. That's too bright. It's like, like the grass isn't really that color. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, are they trying to make it look like a video game? And she also noticed when they do that wipe, and for those of you who don't know what a wipe is, like when they're shooting one shot or maybe they show a replay – They'll often have a little uh, you know, video element that is a wipe of the screen that sort of provides a segue into the switching of the shot so it's not so abrupt. The wipe on last night's broadcast between shots had an Amazon logo on it. Now, it took me a while to see it. Like I didn't, Anna kept saying, did you see that? They, they just put the Amazon logo up there when they did the wipe. And I was like, I didn't see it. And I'm looking right at the screen. She goes, look again the next time they do it. And I'll be damned, the next time they did it, I noticed that Amazon arrow is the wipe. And then the down and distance, third and two, fourth and one, first and ten, that little blue graphic that was displayed on the screen was intentionally similar to the company's trademark arrow. Got me thinking about Amazon. If they're going to use this, this broadcast as a way to generate revenue, they're paying a billion dollars for the NFL broadcast. 
They're going to sell ads, as we saw last night. Whole bunch of ads, saw a bunch of ads for things. I was like, wow, Amazon's, you know, taking advertising? Like, I thought they might just have a commercial-free broadcast. No, no, no. They're making money on the advertising. But I got to thinking about what Amazon could do with the broadcast. Like, how long do you think it will be before we're able to use, like, one click with our remote to buy a product that you can see on the broadcast? Like, you want the polo shirt that's worn by one of the coaches? Click, you got it. How about his hat? Click, you got it. How about when they show the assistant coaches up in the box? How about that Microsoft tablet that the offensive coordinator's looking at? You want that tablet? Click, yours. Shows up at your doorstep one day later with Amazon Prime. So I think this is where Amazon is going with all this. I think Amazon has realized that they're having to cut back and lay people off in some areas, but they're going full force, I think, into sports broadcasting. I think... You know, all of their programming, I think in a decade from now, we're going to be looking at Amazon carrying the NCAA tournament, Amazon carrying college football playoff games, Amazon carrying NFL games. I don't know if they will be the primary person uh, in the NFL, but they are going to be a player in the space. That was evident last night. But I want to know what your anecdotal experience was. 503-417-7575. Tell me what you thought. Peter Sampson will tell us. Uh, Steven's going to weigh in as well, but I want your phone calls. Let's go first to Dave in Sherwood. Dave, how did it work for you? Hi, John. Uh, <laughs> it was wretched, sir. Uh, my wife and I are both big Justin Herbert fans and Charger fans. I grew up a Charger fan back in the 60s and 70s in SoCal. Anyway, at the last minute, we decided to go for prime 30-day trial, and if we liked it, yeah, we'll just extend it. Um so got on the line with them, had about, uh, and unfortunately I missed the first hour of your show because of this, pained me, but it took an hour and 15 minutes to sign up for it. There were some glitches and so on. Finally got it handled, got the picture on, never changed the channel, so not wanting to muck it up. And the game came on, as you said, colors were very vivid, and I was satisfied. And in middle of the second quarter, the screen blanked out, went blue. I was livid. We waited and waited. Never came back. Uh, got in touch with Amazon. Uh, could hardly speak with a coherent English speaker. And to no remedy, another hour on the phone, blew it off, immediately canceled Prime, and uh, I would never go back. This was horrible. Now, do you think it was a bandwidth issue? Was uh, was there something else going on? It, you know, I, I've heard some people complain about it. it. You know, obviously you hadn't used it before, so it was something unfamiliar to you. But did you get a? Did you ever get an answer? Zero. No, they couldn't fix it, and yeah. it went to a blue screen and nothing. Oh wow! And, uh, I was also uh, very chagrined to find out that immediately after the game, it was on NFL Network. Yeah. So I could have, you know, hey, we can, uh, you, know, you know, twiddle our thumbs for three hours or just watch regular programming or read a book and then start the game at 9 o'clock and we'd be just fine and yeah. no fees, no hassle, no anything. Yeah. So well, how did it look for, I, I don't know, like, like in the bottom, bottom line being it didn't work for Dave, worked for some other people, worked for me, didn't work for Dave. I also think it was interesting that uh, the NFL cut a deal with DirecTV it made the broadcast available in sports bars and restaurants through DirecTV, so they were able to carry it directly. They didn't have to have Amazon Prime to get it. 
So there was some distribution motivation there. Uh, I want to get Steven's take on this. Steven, how did it work for you? You know, it worked for me, John. I, I thought the colors were great. Uh, my wife, you know, she's really big into TV. Her family used to own a TV uh, TV sales I can't think of the word. Electronic store. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. The electronic store. Um, so she's super into that stuff. She thought the game was in 4K, and I told her, no, it's not. I looked it up. This is just HD. But she thought it was. It looked so good um, that she was super into it. And so I thought it worked really good. The announcers was great. I love Al Michaels. I love Kirk Herbstreit. It was weird hearing Herbie talk about the NFL game, but he does such a good job. I loved that. Uh, you know, and then we we tuned into the uh, the Dude Perfect version as well because my son's seven and three. They love Dude Perfect. So we watched that, and uh, you know that if you know what Dude Perfect is, it, it's what you kind of expected them just kind of goofing around doing their thing. But you know, my son was into it, and I was like, "Are you watching the football game, or are you just watching the guys?" He goes, "I'm just watching Dude Perfect. I'm I'm ignoring the football game." But at least it was you know we could watch the same thing on the same TV at the same time. So I thought it worked, and I thought it was a very good positive uh, first night for Amazon Prime. It was really easy to get into it. You know, you just clicked on a few buttons, you know, opened up Amazon Prime. It was right there. It said, "Click here to get to the game." So. I did that. I thought it was a. I thought overall it was a success for uh, day one. I thought I'm glad it worked for you. I thought it was really easy, but we had we had, we were prime customers before this, and so I I don't envy the people like the last caller who were calling in, you know, saying, "Hey, I I've never done this before." It. I think the lack of familiarity is an issue. Yeah, and for um, that, we we were we were subscribers before that as well, so I yeah. had familiarity with the Amazon Prime. Yeah, and I think for Amazon, I kept thinking about this last night. Like, obviously, it's a billion-dollar deal for them. But for them, it's not all about ratings, you know. And I, they say they're going to take some time here before they come out with – Nielsen's going to take some time before they can actually give you some accurate ratings on the game last night. But um, I think it's interesting to go and look at it and go, you know, what is Amazon's motivation? Of course, they want to make money on this. But it's not all about ratings and selling – sponsors uh, at 30-second advertisements. It's about retention of Amazon Prime customers, and it's about adding new Amazon Prime customers. And I, I got to say, I think Amazon in the short term is going to take some hits. But I think when you look at the long-term uh, trajectory of this thing, I think five, six, seven, ten years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to go, Amazon got a bargain at a billion dollars because I think it's going to be huge in adding value and retention to their Amazon Prime family and their customers. Peter Sampson, what was your experience like? I loved it. I thought the picture was great. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm that guy that has literally multiple gamma and brightness settings depending on how much light's coming through the window. So I had a great picture going on there. But again, it was the uh, it was just so clear. I I looked it up as well. Wow, was this in 4K? It reminded me of the uh, Apple TV baseball broadcast. Everything about that broadcast is terrible, except the video is gorgeous. And I had a similar experience with Amazon Prime. Also, having a kiddo, we had the uh, the Dude Perfect broadcast on, not the whole time, but some of it. And I'll tell you, I think that was a brilliant pickup because here I am with my kid for the first time ever. We're we were having a football experience. We were we ordered Wingstop. We're sitting on the couch eating wings. Now, granted, he's watching the left hand of the screen and I'm watching the right, but it was the first time that we really did that. I enjoyed the next-gen broadcast as well, if nothing else. It helped drive kind of a conversation with my kiddo about what some of the, you know, what's a blitz, Dad? What does that mean? Things like that. I thought it was a home run. Obviously, Herb Street, now Michaels are legends. I thought it was great, and I mean, certainly it sounds like some people had a bad experience signing up. I believe that. Everyone's probably busy, but I think it's only going to get better from here.
I had I asked last night, you know, give me some feedback on Twitter, and like, I had like 200 people who offered their insight. And the vast majority of people liked it, and they said it worked for them. There were a uh, a thin stripe of people who said they had issues with the broadcast lagging. Uh, I drilled down on that. I reached out to a couple people who said I had issues. I had issues, and I said, "Tell me what's going on with your Wi-Fi speed or with your internet speed in your house." And to a person, they all said, "Confessed that yes, they they kind of go with the basic lowest speed internet." So I think what you need, like I have like super fast internet in the house because I need it for the job I do, and one of the benefits of that is I'm able to stream and watch things pretty quickly. But I think as technology improves that the bandwidth issue will will rectify itself to a certain extent. But I do think for people who are having an issue, ask yourself, um, you know, hey, when the game lagged, you know, was it, uh, you know, is it your is it your bandwidth? Is it your your Wi-Fi speed? Is it is or is it your Internet speed that is causing that? I additionally had people say that they had more success streaming it directly using the Amazon TV app if they had say apple tv or they have a smart tv with an amazon app on it going that route uh was a better solution for them than doing anything else uh let's go to tony in oregon city the number's 503-417-7575 go ahead tony hi john um the overall experience was really good i didn't have any lagging problems i didn't have any issues but i did have personal things because i like to change channels i like to go watch other things Mm -hmm. when they're on commercials and you can't do that with this. And going forward, if if the Pac-12 went with Amazon, which I think would be great, um, what kind of experience would you get from something like that? I like to change and see what other sports are going on, what other games are going on. That's yeah, that could, that could be a problem. That could be a problem because, yeah, you're right. You almost have to bug out of the app and then go into linear TV and then flip around if it was a college football Saturday, so to speak. Uh, I have a couple thoughts on where and why and how this would work well for the Pac-12, including kickoff times. I think it's a game changer when it comes to kickoff times. I'll tell you what I mean next. Leave it here. we got a great show for you. It's the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up uh, at 4 o'clock today, Mike Yam, NFL Network anchor and reporter, will be joining us. Talk about the NFL weekend. Also, Amazon's big Thursday night uh, production. Uh, Pete Martini of the Salem Statesman Journal will be joining us at 4.30 as well. He's a voter in the AP Top 25 poll. He's also fired up about officiating and parenting. I'm always fired up about parenting. Parents? Behave yourselves at sporting events, your kids' sporting events. You need to behave yourselves. We'll talk about it more in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, I think there's a couple of opportunities for the Pac-12 buried in this Amazon thing. Like, I I fully believed a couple of months ago that the Pac-12 would have a streaming partner, but it would be a complementary partner. I still kind of am in that space. Like, I think primarily they'll go with ESPN or somebody, but I think the Pac-12 network content is likely to end up with a streaming partner. But now, uh, given Thursday Night Football, I do think there's a little bit of thinking that needs to happen at Pac-12 headquarters. One of the things I think the Pac-12 needs to think about is, are you willing, 
if you're going to go all in with a streamer, are you willing to walk past the glow of ESPN or turn your back on ESPN and the propaganda machine that is the worldwide leader and choose Apple or Amazon as your partner, like MLS did, and just know that, hey, you're taking the money versus taking that marketing and propaganda machine that ESPN is. Are you willing to do that if you're the Pac-12? You already have kind of a brand uh, issue and a distribution issue being in the Pacific time zone. Is the money enough for you to look past the idea that you would be losing the glow of ESPN? Because when you partner with ESPN, as the SEC has, you get that glow. Second thing, I got to thinking about kickoffs. If you move to a provider like Amazon as your primary provider and you take the pile of money, I think there's a very good chance that the Pac-12 could just go, you know what, we're going to kick our games off at reasonable times. I think the universities would like that. I think some fans who have given up their season tickets would like that. Uh, I also think that, you know, it's tricky. You don't want to go all the way to like a 1 p.m. kickoff all the time because now you're up against the SEC, you're up against the Big Ten, and I'm not sure that Amazon's going to want you to do that if they are your provider uh, in carrying all your games. But I do think it kind of avoids the recurring problem that Pac-12 fans have in that they're stuck – uh, at a 7.30 kickoff or an 8 o'clock kickoff in Utah or, you know, you're in the month of November and you're in Pullman and it's 7.30 at night, like you start to avoid those kinds of situations because you don't have limitations on where you can broadcast your games if you've gone to a streamer. You can kick that game off at 2 p.m. Not a problem. They have room for it. It's not like the traditional TV where they go, hey, we can only play one game at this time. If you are using a streamer, you can kick off those games, you know, all at the same time if you want, or stagger them, or just say, look, we're never going to kick a game off later than 7 o'clock, and it'll never happen under this deal. I think it presents an interesting angle. The downside is obvious. There's going to be a faction of people who are going to say, we can't see your games, where you know I can't stream it, I can't figure it out, I can't do it. I I'm not. This is not normal. Second thing, uh, one of the callers brought up, and I think we can all relate to, is when we're watching a college football game on a Saturday, we're often flipping around. It does create a little bit of a out of sight, out of mind situation if your games are on a streamer. Like somebody has to know, hey, Oregon's playing at two o'clock on Amazon. Like it's not going to get promotion while you're watching the morning game on Fox in, uh, or ESPN. So there's a little bit of an issue there. Guys, can we kick that around a little bit? How, where are the big advantages and where are the big disadvantages in your minds? Yeah, I think the disadvantage is what you just said with the commercials, what the caller said, because I'm with him. Like, if you're on a Saturday and, you know, it's midday, there's a lot of college football going on, and I'm not just watching one game. You know, I got action on a lot of different things. I want to watch teams from other conferences. So if I'm stuck on the Amazon app, you know, you gotta you gotta get out of the app, or you gotta watch it on your tablet or something next to you or your phone. I think that could be a problem with that. Uh, but the advantages, I think, if they were to go with Amazon if they do the Pac-12, is you're the first to do it, right? And so you're gonna reap a lot of the rewards, uh, but you're taking a lot of risk as well. So there could be a lot of risk you're taking. But if it really booms and it really works, you're gonna get a lot of those rewards. It's gonna pay off in the long run. I, you, know, I, 
I think it's a good idea to maybe put just dip your toe in, right? Test the waters out, see what the temperature of that is before you want to go all in and dive in. But I do like the idea of the Pac-12 team up with Amazon in some type of uh, you know some some situation where you know they do have exclusive games on Amazon because I think it's more universally um, available, right? Like people can have Amazon Prime anywhere they are and they can watch the Pac-12. And I think that's something that you can't really have with the Pac-12 network that they have. So I think there's a lot of positives, but the one negative for me is is the commercials. It's the big one. Peter Sampson, disadvantage, advantage. <sighs> I, I really love the idea of working, you know, where the only really limitation is your bandwidth. Uh, when you're putting that kind of money into a streaming service, I mean, you're not going to get, you would assume, some, you know, janky 720p broadcast that looks like it's coming from 1998. I think that's a massive advantage. I think people are desperate for that. And when they're seeing this high quality stuff, they're going, well, man, why can't I get that on the Pac-12 network? Why can't I get that on Root Sports? I think that's a huge advantage but uh but you steven made up a, a great point mentioning the commercials again when you're in the app you're tied to the app and i don't want to have you know fubo or whatever i use on my tablet and, and one on my phone and then be watching the app on my tv it, it does get a little convoluted there phone calls 503-417-7575 mike's in portland go ahead mike hey uh john i love the amazon idea because it's the wave of the future i think but ESPN plays politics, and I just wonder how that would work in ratings and uh, exposure and uh, as far as just pure politics, because ESPN can uh, can kind of ghost you if they need to. Yep. Kind of a well, they've done it already. I mean, if you look at it, and I think it's going to happen to the Big Ten Conference, because keep an eye on this. Uh, you know, ESPN is incredibly influential. When you talk about top 25 rankings – the voters for uh, for that top 25 AP poll, they're all kind of following what ESPN is is saying. ESPN says something's great. Uh, if they say it enough times, everybody starts to believe it. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful force. Uh, it has become a voice in the room that is undeniable. It's the loudest voice in the room. And so with the SEC signed on with ESPN, I kind of rolled my eyes a couple years ago because I thought, here we go. Whether it's Jeremy Lin and Lin Sanity or Tim Tebow or whether or not it's the SEC, ESPN, when they are all in, they are all in. And so you do run a risk, if you're the Pac-12, of being called a has-been, doesn't-matter conference if you don't go with ESPN. And it's what Major League Soccer decided. Major League Soccer had a, had a problem last spring. Like, you know, Gary Stevenson, the head of business for Major League Soccer, I've talked to him a number of times. He said, you know, they decided to go where the future is. And really, it was a decision between signing on with ESPN and getting the weight that ESPN puts behind promotion or just picking the pile of money. When we heard Andrew Marsh of the New York Post earlier this week say that ESPN and the Pac-12 are hundreds of millions of dollars apart, it raised a lot of eyebrows. My eyebrows went up. Because I didn't hear necessarily, uh-oh, there's not going to be a deal for the Pac-12. No, no, no. It told me that the Pac-12 is asking for a big number. And the only way the Pac-12 is asking for a big number is they, if they know they can get a big number from Amazon or Apple. And so I think they're hundreds of millions of dollars apart because there's probably a whole bunch more money being offered to them by Amazon or Apple. So... I kind of, I'm on the fence really 
uh, to some respect, but I think it's a really simple equation. Like, you're either picking the money or you're taking the distribution and the promotion from ESPN. Do you think, John, that they could do what I was trying to say, like dip your toe and just go kind of a little bit with Amazon and with ESPN, or is that kind of just out of the picture? No, they could. And I think, you know, I think it's why it's really interesting. I'm watching. Have you guys noticed that a bunch of teams are canceling games? You notice this? Wake Forest canceled two home-and-home games today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday, there was another news report. Somebody else, a couple other schools. Yeah, the SEC had some. The SEC, they got out of some games. I thought it was really interesting that Wake Forest canceled two games in 2024 and 2025. We've been talking about on this show this loose partnership between the ACC and the Pac-12. I think the ACC schools are being asked to free up their schedule because I think they're going to play crossover games against the Pac-12, and I think ESPN is going to get all of those. So I think there is a chance that the ACC members and the Pac-12 members play one week every year where they cross over and ESPN has all the games. And I think there's a really good chance that the Pac-12 network content just goes to a streamer, all of it. So I think there is a blend out there that works, that makes you look like you're cutting edge. Hey, the Pac-12 got there first. I think that would be really face-saving for the conference presidents and chancellors. But you still, I still think you need to be on ESPN just to keep yourself visible, relevant, get your best teams out there on linear television once in a while. It is a fantastic question, and I mean that in like it is a big question that you got to be asking yourself if you're the Pac-12. Punch and Audio is coming up. More of your phone calls at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. It's a Friday on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Why don't we have a basketball team on this radio show? Peter Sampson. Peter Sampson, how tall are you? I am six foot three. Steven, how tall are you? Uh, I'm six three on a good day. On a good day. <laughs> I like that. Six two. We got yeah, a front. Peter is looking got, at me like yeah, you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said on a good day, six two. I inbound the ball, and I just you guys set screens for each other, and I just I just all day long pile up bounce pass assists. That's that's the offense. I'm down with that. I'm down with getting buckets. That's one thing I can still do. You know, I'm a little out of shape. I haven't played basketball for a while, but you know what? I can always get buckets. I was thinking that today uh, as I uh, walked by both of you. I was like, you know what? We've got some tall people on this radio show. Uh, we're gonna play some punch it audio here. Coming up at uh, 4 o'clock, we'll visit with Mike Yam, who formerly was with the Pac-12 Network and is now with the NFL Network. We'll talk some NFL with Yam. And also in Hour 2, we will talk to Pete Martini, who is with the Salem Statesman Journal, does a fantastic job there. He is a top 25 voter. I'm going to ask him what he's looking for this weekend. What's he watching? What's he looking for? What does Oregon and Oregon State need to do to stay on his ballot? He, I think, is the only voter in the country who had both the Beavers and the Ducks on his ballot. So we will uh, talk with him uh, coming up. Let's play some Punch It. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Pete Thamel, ESPN. I talked about the glow of ESPN. He's talking about BYU. Thamel thinks BYU is real. 
punch it. Yeah, I, if you are going to be a team that's outside the Power Five, and BYU is obviously an independent until they join the Big 12 next year, you not only have to be perfect, but you also have to have a schedule that allows you to have a case. And you have to have a little bit of preseason juice. It's hard to go from completely unranked to assert yourself in the in the conversation. If you think back to some of those Boise teams back when they were in the WAC, uh, you know, they'd start the season ranked unranked or in the 20s, and it is just a tar fight to get to the, you know, it used to be one or two then, so that was really hard. But, you know, even to get to four, BYU sitting there at 12 now, and look, Oregon's ranked 25th. They obviously laid a dinosaur egg. You go into Autzen Stadium and you win, that's a big deal. I don't care, you know, if this isn't a vintage Ducks team and Dan Lanning's finest sea legs and Bonex is a little bit erratic, perhaps. Like, that. that is one of the tougher venues to play in all of college football. So I really feel like right now, sitting here, going into the weekend of September 17th, BYU's got a chance. They got a chance, but again, we're talking about, it's exactly what I'm talking about, kind of the ESPN propaganda machine. It's interesting to me that ESPN or Pete Thamel have decided already that this isn't a vintage Oregon team. They're not as good as Georgia. They're way better than Eastern Washington. I think this weekend matters, and I think before we can anoint like BYU as that team, let's wait and see how BYU plays. BYU's got a win at Autzen Stadium tomorrow. Then beyond that, they got a date with Arkansas in mid-October. And there's really not another opportunity for BYU to prove itself. So I think the knock on BYU this season is going to be uh, their schedule. Because even though Notre Dame's on the schedule, doesn't look like Notre Dame. Outside of Notre Dame, they're playing Liberty, East Carolina, Boise State, Dixie State, Wyoming, Utah State. It's not impressive. So the knock on BYU is going to be, how you know, are they any good? I think we're going to find out tomorrow if BYU is good or is Oregon good. Like, I, I will be really interested in ESPN's narrative if Oregon beats BYU or maybe beats BYU convincingly tomorrow at Autzen Stadium. Will they credit Autzen Stadium for the win, or are they going to look at Dan Landing and go, you know what, that Oregon team lost to a really good Georgia team in the opener, but gosh, they look every bit playoff worthy. Like, I don't know. It's a wait-and-see game, but I'm a little surprised that we're talking BYU with a shot at the college football playoff after two weeks. BYU beat Baylor 26-20 in overtime. Beat South Florida. I think there's a lot left to prove. Kayvon Thibodeau said he is optimistic about playing Sunday against the Panthers. He also says he's getting better every day. Here's KT with the New York Giants. Punch it. Uh, I feel a lot better. Um, I've just been making really good gains every day and just continuing to kind of bring back those uh, reps in a different kind of motion and kind of getting comfortable back, you know, in my position. How are you deciding each day how much you do? Is that a day-to-day process? Well, just just trying to tolerate the pain and make sure I don't do too much and try to re-aggravate it, you know, make sure I really just uh, do everything in my capacity and just, you know, continue to kind of push that that uh, envelope. Kayvon Thibodeau in college, I mentioned this yesterday, injury prone. That's the knock on him. We talked about his motor. Here he is, early in the NFL season, still not on the field, still talking about getting on the field. At some point, 
if he doesn't play with consistency and stay healthy, that New York media will not be as friendly as the media in Eugene. Kayvon Thibodeau, stay healthy. It was Justin Herbert last night showing some toughness in a loss. Brandon Staley talked about it. Chiefs beat the Chargers last night. Punch it. It was a tough game, and you're not going to see a quarterback in any level of football play tougher and do more for their team and will their team um, to give them a chance than him. There's nobody that can do what he can do. Nobody. Um, He showed a lot of guts. He showed us what he shows every day, um, that we're never out of the fight. And he brought us back and gave us a chance. Gave him a chance, uh, but he appears to have avoided a major injury. He had significant pain at the end of the game last night. He's got a fracture in his rib cartilage, his coach said today. He's listed as day-to-day, unclear about how long he'll be out, but I think it's good news. Took a shot in the late in the fourth quarter and uh, stayed down for several minutes. Derek Anderson, the former NFL quarterback, former Beaver, he texted me last night during the game. I'm going to read his text. I don't think he'd mind. Got a text from DA last night, and his, his response was, Herbert has big bleep. Win or lose, you got to give this kid some love. He's out there hurting. Amazon Prime, get him an ice pack. Roberto Clemente Day, September 15th every year is Roberto Clemente Day. Major League Baseball established a day to honor the late Hall of Famer's legacy as a humanitarian. Clemente's son and grandson threw out the first pitch yesterday. Punch it. Please direct your attention to the field for a ceremonial first pitch. Representing the Clemente family, please welcome Roberto Clemente's son and grandson, Roberto Clemente Jr. and Roberto Clemente III. Our ceremonial catchers are previous Clemente Award winners and Mets alumni, Curtis Granderson and Carlos Delgado. Roberto and Roberto, it's your pitch. Roberto Clemente died in a plane crash 50 years ago yesterday. That's why September the 15th is Roberto Clemente Day. It's really cool to see the teams wearing his jersey number. Players wore number 21. Clemente was a fantastic player. Um, A lot of players calling to have his number 21 jersey retired across uh, all all, uh, teams. But uh, really cool to see his son and his grandson out there. It's Germany and Greece playing for uh, the marbles this week. But uh, also, the Lakers made an interesting signing. Punch it. Here's Schroeder. Another three. How many are they going to hit? Eight of ten. He gets the foul. Zakis. The body. Again, similar to Hatton Jacopo, Schroeder loves to get downhill. Lauren Zakas has been playing outstanding defense, but that's just a really tough cover. Entry pass to Tice. His length and athleticism so impressive. And skill. Oh, look at Schroeder. Uh Uh-oh. Look at that. There's Zakas. Schroeder does that at least once a game, doesn't he? Schroeder playing for Germany. They lost to Spain in the Eurobasket semifinals. 
Schroeder led all scorers with 30. But the news of the day is that he's back with the Lakers. One year, $2.6 million. His agent, Mark Bartlestein, announcing it, gives the uh, gives the Lakers... Peter Sampson, is this big news? No, but does it give the Lakers some depth that they need? Yeah, it, it's not big news getting Schroeder on his face, but you, when you consider that they have Westbrook, they added Pat Beverly, I mean, they even have Kendrick Nunn. That's a lot of point guards. you got to wonder if they're going to look to cut a couple loose. I think they're just looking for answers, right? <laughs> kind of feels <laughs> that, that way. Too. Just get a bunch of guys in there. We'll figure it out later. That's Punch It Audio coming up, our big splash. Later in the program, what's on tap? We'll tell you what you should be watching this weekend when it comes to sports. Mike Yam, NFL Network, coming up at 4 o'clock to talk NFL. What else? Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our big splash coming up in this segment. Biggest, baddest thing you need to know about. What are you guys doing this weekend? I'll be uh, covering some college football. What are you doing, Peter? Uh, I'm watching some college football. Going to make some uh, pasta sauce, uh, red sauce, because the garden's out of control with tomatoes. But, yeah, just taking it easy. When you are cooking the uh, pasta sauce and using fresh tomatoes, you gotta you got to cook that a long time because you got to get all that acid out of there and just really... You you put meat in there? You oh yeah, meat sauce? yeah. So so you you gotta you gotta peel them and crush them. Let it go all day, and then it's uh you do Italian sausage. I do a pork veal combination meatball, and then short ribs is the secret ingredient. Ooh, yeah, I like that. What about you, Stephen? What are you doing? Well, I'm going to Peter's house for uh, dinner. First of all. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, I I'm going to the monster truck show tomorrow, so uh, that'll be fun with the kids. What? Yeah, there's really? a monster, at the Coliseum, Memorial Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, we're monster truck show. You know, my three year old super into monster trucks, so uh, that'll be fun. It's late at night, seven thirty, so I'll be able to watch you know Oregon BYU and uh, a lot of the good games going on that. And then uh, Sunday, you know, just uh, hosting radio show, bet the game, seven fifty the game from eight to nine, and then uh, just hanging out watching football. You got a podcast going too. Tell us about your Blazers related podcast. How's that going? I, I do. Yeah, uh, it's it's the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, it's the Believe in Blazers podcast. It's myself and then uh, my partner is Tori Jones. He he runs uh, Blazer Uprise, which is like a YouTube channel. Him and another guy do that. So yeah, we just go on there once a week for now. Uh, may may rev up to twice a week during the season, depending on you know how good the Blazers are and if there's a lot to talk about. But uh, we put it out every once every week, and uh, it's good. We're just talking about a lot about Blazer stuff. Uh, this upcoming podcast, we're gonna we're gonna record probably tomorrow as well, uh, and we will uh, we'll talk a lot about Dame and his comments that he had on the Dave Pash podcast. So, uh, yeah, I advise everyone to go check it out. It's gonna be good. There you go. See, uh, here's the other thing. You know, people always say, "Oh, if the Blazers aren't good, there's no interest." I say nonsense to that because I think if they're good, that's great. Like they're good. Of course, nat- people are naturally enthusiastic, but. I think the fan base, if they're mediocre or bad, is going to be locked in this year, clamoring for decisions. Do the, does the team move Lillard? Do they trade Lillard? Who's going to own the team? There's a lot of tentacles going on with the Blazers this year, so I think they're going to be interesting regardless. Yeah, we we got a good back and forth because you know I'm I'm more pessimistic about the Blazers. I think they're kind of a little down, and Tori's kind of more of a emotional fan. So uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of a little good back and forth there. As he's more positive, I'm a little more negative, and, and I'm willing to take that. that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. All right, let's uh, big splash. One thing you need to know. Let's do it. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the big splash. 
Well, Robert Sarber, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, is fined $10 million, and he had a one-year ban by the NBA after uh, an investigation revealed allegations of workplace abuse and improper conduct and, frankly, uh, creep language by Robert Sarver. The uh, NBA Players Association executive director has gone public today. Tamika Tramaglio uh, was speaking with Malika Andrews of ESPN, and uh, the the executive director, well, she wants more than one year. Thank you. I did absolutely have that conversation with Adam, and I was very clear of what our expectations are. I think, you know, Adam has been very willing to hear me as well as hear others, and I think he's also had several conversations with our players as well. Um, I I don't know how open he is in terms of, you know, actually wanting to make the change. I think it is our hope um, that it will be very clear that Mr. Sarver should not be in a position to be able to come back and be in a managerial position. I think we've heard from other owners, we've heard from sponsors, et cetera, and I think it's pretty clear that there is no expectation of him returning. Right now, uh, the NBA and Adam Silver saying that there's not much more they can do to remove him. Uh, Suns owner has been suspended one year and fined $10 million. Now, PayPal says it will not renew a sponsorship with the Suns if Sarver regains his role. I think it's really interesting. I think in the end, the sponsors and the players may have something to say about Adam Silver's league. Coming up, Mike Yam, NFL Network. He is an anchor. He is a reporter. He knows the Pac-12 well from his time at the Pac-12 Networks. We'll talk to Mike Yam about the Amazon broadcast and week two of the NFL season. Some big games coming up this weekend and a lot to talk about as we get ready for week two of NFL play. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Leave it here. Mike Yam coming up, NFL Network analyst and reporter. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Am I a bad parent? Really, am I a bad parent? Our, uh, our first grader came home from school today. She said a, uh, a boy punched her on the playground. The boxer. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, I guess he learned a lesson. I said, you hit him back? She said, you don't hit a boxer. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm okay with you hitting someone back. Don't let someone hit you. And don't just stand there. Am I a bad dad? Am I a bad parent for saying to my kid, it's okay if if you need to defend yourself, throw a punch back? No, you're good. You're good, man. Think the school is going to call me? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I might be a bad parent. Mike Yam, NFL Network. Am I a bad oh, parent? <laughs> no, you're not a bad parent. I would tell you this. First of all, you're going to get a call uh, because you're on radio. You, you're, you have a very popular show. You know there are other parents probably in your daughter's class that are listening yeah. to you condoning this. Here's what I would say, though. You have a young daughter. So yep. to say that she should stand up for herself, like to me, like that's that's what your duty as a dad is. So I'd say good parent there, hundred percent. She's not instigating; she's defending, and therefore it's okay. That's what I told her. I said, you, somebody takes a shot at you, you have my permission to swing back. Don't hit first, yeah. John. But... I, I'm also not a parent, so like I should be the last person offering. <laughs> no, I'll just be like. <laughs> 
I'll just be like, Mike Yam <laughs> said it was okay. Answer with that. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever have a situation like that in school or anything, or did anybody take a shot at Mike Yam, or was it pretty peaceful? No, it was, man, I got to tell you, like, I was kind of friends with everyone. Like, I actually speak back to my high school days and, like, you mm-hmm. know, the different camps, you know, the jocks and the nerds and the whole thing. Like, I got along with everyone, man. I was pretty fortunate. Um, yeah, so I, I wish I, I wish I had this great story to tell you where, like, yeah. you know, I, I took, you know, I was, you know, David and took down Goliath, which really would, would it would have been like for me. Yeah. Uh, we've met in person. So you obviously know, like I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to be a linebacker out there. So uh, <laughs> definitely a different vibe for me. So, I'm still going to say there's a reason why I'm a pacifist. So. Yeah, if anybody asks me, I'm going to say, but Mike Yam, he's on the, he's an NFL network anchor. He's, he hosts a show on Sirius XM. He said it was okay. He went to Fordham. He's a smart guy. He knows. <laughs> and they're going to say who? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, what'd you think of the Amazon broadcast? Uh, I, you know, it was on, it was on NFL Network as well. After, yeah. hey, what did you think of it? You know, what's sort of interesting. I guess I lucked out, John, because I know that there was a lot of reaction about you know poor picture quality and shoddy audio. And normally, my Wi-Fi in my place is like not great, so I was a little concerned about it. I thought the picture quality was great. I thought some of the camera angles that they captured was really strong. Uh, I didn't have any audio issues there, so I actually liked it. I'm still, I don't know, and I, I saw you uh, tweet about this, and I saw some of the reactions, which, by the way, some of your listeners, man, and the people who follow you on Twitter, they're funny. Like, some of those comments, I, <laughs> yeah. and I, sometimes, and you probably have one or two people that have gotten the double tap from me, and then I realize that I can't do that, and I take it back, because I don't <laughs> want people saying, like, I'm like, why did I just do that? You, you know, just sort of like yeah. to think before you do. Um, but you definitely have some funny people and you have some funny responses. I'm still trying to get used to Herb Street on, yeah. on the NFL. I, I heard it obviously in the preseason. I watched it last night. Um, Michael's, you know, someone was talking about his age. He still sounds big time to me on a game. So I actually yes. thought that there was a lot of positives. I'm a big fan of Richard Sherman too on the pregame. I think he by far, and I don't think it's all that, well, Whitworth's actually pretty good too, but I think Sherman is sort of the headliner on the uh, the pre-half and post stuff. Yeah, I loved the broadcast. I loved that it was different. I, I was excited to see it. Yeah. I was excited to watch the game, and you know what? It really wasn't that much about the game, even though it was a really good game. I, I felt like it was, uh, I was there to see the broadcast, and I felt like the colors were, the hues and the tones were a little off, but it made me think like maybe they're going for a gamer crowd. It, it was like a video game almost. Totally. Did you, you know, and I will say this too, their graphics package, and this is probably getting into the weeds for non-TV people, but, you know, what you see graphically with the score bug and, and those types of things like that, that stuff is really well thought out. And I actually liked the look of mm-hmm. the their coverage, one. Um, and I, you know, do you, I don't know, on Monday Night Football, John, I don't know if you're the dude who watches like the Manning stuff. I, I'm probably the only person in the country that hasn't really watched it. I've seen like the excerpts and the guests that they get. I like the traditional broadcast, but the next gen stuff, I've heard good things about that. I'm a big next gen stats guy. We use a lot of that stuff in NFL Network, so I have an appreciation for it. The, the, um, what's the other, that other group, they did like a little pregame tease. And I, you know, uh, the dude, perfect guys. I didn't yes. – the tease that they did in pregame almost got me willing to go and watch it during the game. And I'm not necessarily that dude. I was sort of impressed, though, by, by at least that quick little promo they did. I said, oh, damn, okay. Like, I saw – I thought it was like a press release thing when they signed them, and then I watched not really knowing full well what they do. 
And I said, oh, that's kind of entertaining. So I will, I, I'm with you, John. I'll give him credit for trying to do some things differently. Last night uh, on the game, uh, you've got Al Michaels, you've got Herbie. You'd mentioned the dynamic there. But uh, you had Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes on the field. And it, oh, yeah. it, Herbert, to me, in year three now, is looking like a guy that I, I think we all know he's going to have a long, productive career. What is the ceiling for him as a starter in this league? The ceiling is the best quarterback in the NFL. I, I think we're almost trending in that direction now. It, it's a little bit maybe of a leap just because of the success Burroughs had early. Mahomes isn't that much earlier. He's not going anywhere. And in that division, I, I mean, think about what we're going to be treated to over the next few years in the AFC West. But I think what's sort of fascinating is Justin and his popularity. You know, John, I know you got to know him a little bit when he was in Eugene. This is a guy, you know, I'm seeing him do commercials and I'm watching the broadcast and I'm like, can you imagine Mark Helfrich is watching, watching these commercials and he's smiling somewhere. Because the old story was during practice, Helfrich used to have to tell Justin he had to say something to someone after every single play during practice because he's, he was sort of that quiet kid. And you even heard some of the coverage and some of the things that people were discussing during the broadcast about, you know, quiet leadership and, and leading by, by example. I was actually down in Costa Mesa a couple weeks ago for training camp with those guys. And I talked to Austin Eckler specifically about Justin and he was like, no, no, no he's, he's becoming a little bit more vocal and he's more comfortable in the huddle. And you could see people, you know, sort of, you know, following him. I think his leadership is on full display. It's different, and it's probably really similar to what he was doing um, at Oregon, and I think it's resonating with his teammates. But the skill set, are you kidding me? Some of the dimes that this guy throws out there, statistically speaking, I think it's now – I'm probably off by a couple games here, but I think it's 15 games out of the 33 that he's played in, he's thrown at least three touchdowns. I mean, that is sort of like a mind-boggling stat when you when you step back and you think about the other players that have done that. I mean, the list is pretty – pretty significant in week two who needs to prove something to you like where does your mind go when i say that like you know there who like which game like you can only watch one game somebody needs to show you you know that they're real or they belong in the conversation uh who's that team um well there's a few games in week two that i i'm actually pretty excited to see i would tell you from a prove it standpoint were we like every football fan not disappointed in week one watching the Rams? Like I get it. The bills are really good. And we know that. And if there's a short list of teams that you'd say, Oh yeah, like they're going to be in the Super Bowl, You know, we'd feel comfortable slotting them into one of those spots, but for the Rams, for the offensive line to look the way that they did, I know Matthew Stafford could be streaky. Some of those picks, like I, like, we love the Mahomes sidearm throws. Like, the Matthew Stafford no-look passes are really cool when he executes them. But, my God, when he throws a pick on one of them, you go, ooh. Like, that's one you, you want to take back. I, I thought the Rams looked shaky in week number one. Now, granted, they, they get a Falcons team that, who, by the way, I thought looks better than anticipated and, and figured out a way to lose their game in week number one. But the Rams, to me, probably have the most to prove. I, I think the Broncos and what we saw from uh, Russell Wilson, I think they're probably on that short list as well because uh, there's no guarantees even if they gave it to Russell and, and not kick the field goal that that they win that game so um, you know I, I think those are two teams that are prove it prove it to me in week number two Mike Yam with us NFL Network the Niners and Trey Lance I left week one going uh, gosh is it, a good I, is one it too. Just, yeah. yeah 
Is it not going to happen? And But I, I want to kind of look at them a little bit. If they don't get a result here against the Seahawks in Week 2, which that's always been a tough matchup for them. They're at home, Niners at home. I, I, I kind of wonder at what point we'll start hearing some Jimmy G talk. How much room does yeah. Lance have here? Oh, man, I think this is what every Niners fan was thinking when they decided to bring Jimmy back because we all knew that this conversation was going to take place. We brought it up. Does Jimmy, if Trey struggles out of the gate, I'm willing, and I think most fans, to be fair, John, have to give him, and I know people are going to be like, yeah, what are you talking about? But, like, you do have to give him a mulligan in week one. Like, those conditions to me – are so unique and so different. And for any fan who didn't watch the game, I mean, it was ridiculously wet. You know, um, you probably, because you obviously have young kids, John, and you're, yep. you know, dad of the year, which we established at the top of the segment. Right on. You have, yeah. and maybe it's, maybe, maybe we're too old now for this, but remember like slip inside? Yes. Do, do the kids still do that in the backyard? Is that still a thing? Uh, they, yeah, they do. They don't call it a slip and slide though. Okay. Any kind of, any kind of plastic and you put water on it on the grass is good to go. Oh yeah. That's what it looked like. I mean, it was, I, you know, it was, his his numbers were terrible, but I go, eh, so was the field. Yeah. And, and no George Kittle. And, and I don't think George and as I could kind of like knife through my emails real quick and sort of see this injury report. Uh, he's questionable still dealing with that groin injury. Excuse me. So, you know, we don't know if Kittle's going to be out there for this matchup. Look, Gino really good first half, like Seattle, kudos to that squad, having to listen the entire offseason about Russell Wilson and the whole thing. For them to win that game, great. I got to tell you, if, if Seattle figures out a way to beat the Niners, I would be surprised. Like, you know, to your point, I, I think the growing where's Jimmy, where's Jimmy becomes a real thing. I was actually in the Bay Area twice for practice. Uh, to watch that team. Jimmy was not on the team at that point, was still practicing and rehabbing. John, it was, it's a cool scene. They, they open up their practice for the fans, and they have their bleachers that are there. Jimmy's throwing on the field behind the bleachers. So, like, when you're sitting there, you're, you know, you're a fan. You're in the bleachers. You're watching the entire team in front of you on the field. There were a, there's a large majority of fans who are not watching the team practice, turning around, turning their back to the team and the field, to watch Jimmy G, who got a standing ovation, by the way, the first time he came out there uh, in front of those fans, just throw 20, 30-yard passes. Like, to me, like, he's he's ridiculously popular. So maybe if they lose this game, we start having a little bit more of that conversation because it's not going to get easier. Like, in week three, it's a road game against Denver. You know, so, like, winning on the road. And it's the, it's the Rams after that. So, you know, at some point, Trey, Trey's got to show up and he's got a ball. NFL Network anchor Mike Yam is with us, also hosts a show on Sirius XM. Uh, you've written a book, too, Fried Rice and Marinara. I love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. Uh, it's a kid's book, yeah? It is a kid's book. Um, actually, it was put together by a Portland-based company called Books. I think I've even messaged you about them before. And I actually got involved, uh, Lamar Hurd, uh, one of hmm. my buddies, and, and certainly a guy that you know really well with the Blazers now. We worked together at Pac-12 Network and obviously you know, had some success. Uh, I shouldn't say some. I think he's one of my best friends. He had a ton of success when he was playing at, at Oregon. 
that he'd yell at me if he heard me say that. Um, but Lamar was involved, so I sort of got involved, and, and I pitched them the story, and, and they were awesome about it. Sort of felt like there was a gap in the space, in the children's reading space, for kids who were kind of like me. I'm half Chinese, half Italian, and, um, you know, we're sort of in a day and age where you're seeing multi-ethnic families and um, converging on one household, just like yours, John, so I know you can appreciate what I'm discussing. So just to sort of see yourself in, you know, and I guess this, I shouldn't say just about me, but just for any child to see themselves um, sort of as a main character in a lead role. Like, I, I just think there's some value there. So hopefully some people will, uh, will catch on and, and check it out. It's really interesting that you are Chinese and Italian because we, we tell our kids, we say you're Chitalian. That's what you are. <laughs> I even for a time. I, we didn't use that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for a time, I owned the domain Chitalian.com. I thought it was going to be a big thing. Like, I went out and grabbed it, and I was like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, and uh, I didn't end up doing anything with it. So I let it go. But it was a good idea. Maybe the two of us can figure something out. It, yeah. it, it, I still think it's a good idea. I just I don't know how, to, how we can, like, figure some sort of path yeah. of, of monetizing that, but maybe we yeah. can, you know, you're more creative than I am, uh, but I'll lean on you on that one. I know when you go to a museum, like in China, like you go in, you think we have stuff here in the United States that's old, and then you go to a museum like in Beijing, and they're like, we invented steel. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we're like, our antique stores have things that are like 30 years old. Does that count? Like it has my old lunch pail there. Like, you know, it's, it's not the same. Like there's real yeah, history yeah. and tradition there. And then there's food in Italy, as you point out in the book. Like, you know, you got your marinara going. Uh, Mike Yam is with yeah. us. Yam, uh, Marcus Mariota in Atlanta. Not a, not a great week one for him. Uh, I'm worried about the guy. I'm worried he's not going to get a fair shake. Is he going to get a fair shake? Uh, I do think he will, only because I don't know if Ritter's totally ready to be the guy right now. And I think there's some value that Marcus can bring to the table. I mean, there are times in the preseason when I was watching Ritter out there, and I'm like, oh, like this is this is like Marcus – 2.0, or I shouldn't say 2.0 because that sounds like it's better, but you can see some similarities in their game, and Ritter was trying to do some things and make some throws that Marcus was making pretty routinely, and I think that's why Arthur Smith said, you know what, he's going to be our guy, and I, I know that wasn't a surprise necessarily to anyone. I, this is a team that also doesn't have like a ton of talent out there, and I know we can talk about you know, they're tight end, um, and, and obviously Drake London, who, who we're more than familiar with with his time at USC, they don't have a plethora of options that are out there. And by the way, Kyle Pitts, for all the th good things that he's done, and Drake London, what we saw with those five catches, and I think he had like 70-some-odd yards in that debut, I actually thought Marcus played okay, and Atlanta was up in that third quarter. I mean, they were up like 23-10. I was kind of flipping around trying to track as many games as I can. Um, you know, clearly there was a fumble, and then you saw, you know, a, a deep run, and that obviously is what sunk them, and New Orleans was able to figure out their offense. But I'm I, I'm not willing to close the door just yet on, on Atlanta. Like, I, I, I'm kind of – maybe I'm partial because I'm rooting for Marcus a little bit, but and I want to see him do well. But I, I think there's a chance for them to be okay. I don't know if they're a playoff team. I wouldn't go that far, but I think there's some opportunities here for, for him to have at least some, some degree of success. All right, I'm going to throw this question at you that I think a lot of people are asking when it comes to um, the Pac-12 and what we saw last night on Amazon. How does that strike you? You're a guy who worked at the Pac-12 Network. You know the content. Yeah. You know the game. You know the conference. Does it work on Amazon 
to some extent, does it work on Amazon as an all-in thing? The Pac-12 could be the first that goes all-in streaming. What are your thoughts on sure, that? Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm sounding like I'm hedging a little bit. If there was a league that would do it, it would be the Pac-12. There's the headlines. There's the Silicon Valley thing that I think Larry Scott was trying to be a champion of that never really sort of panned out. But I do think that there's some opportunities on the West Coast to to be a leader, right, and follow the NFL's lead, follow what Major League Baseball was doing with Apple. Here, here's my concern, though. One of the biggest issues, and John, I know you live it regularly, when you look at exposure and what the national narrative has been about the Pac-12, it hasn't been positive. And to be fair, not winning some big non-conference games has been a, been a real issue. I mean, don't look. you got fans in your backyard that saw what happened with, with Oregon and Georgia. Utah losing the way that they did was, was heartbreaking. But the point is, like, the league's got to win some games, right, to get some credibility. I, I also think people need to have access to those games. And, look, if people are complaining about finding an NFL game, and there's been some of that conversation, I would be ridiculously concerned if I was the back 12 by putting all of my eggs in that basket, I think it's worth exploring for sure because, you know, there's like that weird delta. It's the cash or is it the exposure? And the league clearly needs both. Um, and, and maybe the cash is more important, I think, at the end of the day than, than maybe the exposure is because, you know, with an expanded playoff now, then maybe some of that gets mitigated to a certain degree. But I would be concerned about going all in exclusively on one of those deals um, I still don't think that happened, though, at least in this round. I think you could see some some games, which would be kind of cool um, to sort of you know dip your toe, so to speak, into the uh, the shallow end of the pool. But um, I, I would be worried about going all in on that right now. Mike Yam, you're the best. I'll call you when I need parenting advice, and I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm the last person you should call as a non-parent. I mean, I, I'm like you know the uncle who says ice cream and candy for dinner is yeah. okay. So yeah. you know. It, I don't know. Nothing I, wrong I'm, with I'm that. a fan favorite, though. There's nothing yeah, wrong with yeah. that. They like seeing me. Yep. So. <laughs> Mike Yam, hey, NFL enjoy Network. Enjoy those games this weekend. Will do. Thank you, my friend. There he is, Mike Yam. Uh, when, the, when the school calls me, I'll just say, hey, Mike Yam said it was okay. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. We'll talk to an AP Top 25 voter. Pete Martini of the Salem Statesman Journal will be joining us in about 10 minutes. Talk to him about what's going on in his world. He's uh, he's fired up at some parents out there, and I don't blame him. We're talking a lot of parenting on today's show. Um, the six-year-old, is that what she is? Yeah, the six-year-old in our household who's a boxer, apparently somebody on the playground, some some boy in her class took, took a shot at her. And... Uh, I said, would you hit him back? And she said, yes. And I said, you had my permission. Am I going to get a call? Stephen and Peter, am I getting your prediction? Do I get a call? And if so, what do I say? Yeah, you get a call just because that seems to be the way that schools are going these days. But you say, look, she she was hit first and, you know, under no excuse or reason is she to start a fight. But if someone's attacking her, she needs, she's expected or enabled to defend herself. So... Yeah, I agree, hundred percent with what Peter just said. They they will call you, um, but yeah, you got to just tell them. You know what? She was not the initiator. She was attacked first, and she's gonna step. She's gonna you know stand up for herself. So I agree. I I think she did the right thing. 
uh, you know, I had my son, he had a soccer game yesterday. He and he's way bigger than everybody. He knocked a kid down and the ball went forward and I yelled at him to keep going. He helped the kid up and I was like, uh, Come on, don't do that. Just go get the goal. But you know, luckily his teammate got the goal and I looked at my wife and I'm like, We gotta get some killer instinct in that guy. Yeah, you know what? He's got a good heart. He does. He's too like nice. That. Too nice. That's okay. It's okay. You can be nice. Be more then... like dad. That's <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh so here's the other thing. Like, you know, I should just tell I'll tell the principal. We hit back. We don't hit first. Yep. You know, you know, and and look, the the buzzwords at schools nowadays, every, you know, everybody wants uh, harmony and inclusion, and everybody, you know, I'll just say, look, you know, as long as we're punching people, <laughs> we're, you know, if one kid punches, all kid punches. No, that's not how it should be. I I told her like, ideally, you know, I want you to defend yourself, but ideally, we're not hitting people. But I still don't want you to sit there and let somebody hit you. So she knows. And she said, "Yeah, that's what you get when you mess with a boxer," which I kind of liked. That's, I laughed at that. That is pretty awesome. That's yeah. that's a good saying right there. All right, there. That's what she says too when she when she hits her sister. Um, all right, so uh, coming up, bottom of the hour here in just a couple of minutes, we'll get to uh, Pete Martini of the Salem Statesman Journal. When I ask him about his ballot, top twenty-five, AP top twenty-five, we see it every week. It holds a lot of clout, a lot of weight. First of all, questions for Pete. Uh, first of all, I want to know what Oregon and Oregon State have to do to stay on his ballot. I think he had the Beavers at 25. Is it enough for them just to beat Montana State? Do they stay on the ballot, or do they have to do it in a certain way? Uh, second thing, which fan base in the top 25 is the worst to deal with? Some of these fan bases lobby these voters nonstop. Do you guys have a prediction on what Pete might say when it comes to bad fans and fans that harass the voters? Oh, that's it's got to be something in the SEC, I would guess. Um, I'll say Big Twelve. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Big Twelve can be a little obnoxious. I'm just looking at the top twenty-five, and I'm trying to figure out. I don't know what he's going to say, which I think is going to be fantastic. I feel like like it's like a Mississippi State or something. Okay, something like Peter, that. you like, got a prediction? Like they never get it, never, never I'm staying in the Pac-12. I'm saying USC fan. Uh, They're delusional. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be BYU, or. I think it's going to be, let's say, uh, Oklahoma State. I'll go with a Big 12 and a soon-to-be Big 12. Pete Martini coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest does a hell of a job at the Salem Statesman Journal. He's also an Associated Press Top 25 voter, friend of this show, lifelong Oregonian, Pete Martini, joining us. I think he's a Braves fan as well. Are you a Braves fan? <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, I was born to it when I was younger, um, obviously because they were on TV a lot. I followed them and the Mariners. Um, those are kind of my two teams. Um, but baseball, truthfully, has kind of lost me over the years a little bit. It's, uh, it's still near and dear to my heart, but I I think they've made some mistakes over the years. And so I I still kind of follow what they do, but uh, I'm not as strong a fan of them as I am, say, the 49ers. No. Yeah, it's Niner fan. I knew I liked you, Pete. Uh, so let's talk <laughs> for a little bit about the AP poll. Um, you know, give us an idea. When you – when you know this gets thrown on your plate, uh, I you know how do you? What is your system? What is your process when you go to fill out your ballot? Well, I start out in the preseason. I kind of go through 
how the poll finished last year and how we ranked the teams. And then I kind of go one by one, who are they losing, uh, where are they in the uh, recruiting rankings, things like that. Uh, there were some that were obvious. You knew Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State were going to be up there, kind of the top three. But a lot of the, the uh, preseason stuff, you kind of have an idea, but you really do go in kind of blindly. And so after the first week, or the first two weeks, I guess, because there's a zero week now, after those first two weeks, everybody's played at least one game. And so my, my strategy always is, after I've seen everybody play, I've seen the results, I kind of reshuffle things. And so sometimes fans get mad because maybe their team was number 19 in the preseason poll. They win their first game, and then I drop them to 21. It's not that I'm necessarily punishing them. I'm just kind of reshuffling the order because now I've seen everybody. And there might be somebody that I had behind them before the season started that I thought looked really good the first week. And so now I have them ahead of them. And so that's kind of – and then each week I just kind of go through. I create a list of who from the top 25 lost and who they lost to and who won those games. And then I just kind of go through there and kind of methodically, you know, move some teams up, move some teams down. I'm not necessarily – you know, I'll, I'll have teams hop teams because I, I don't think you should just keep the order no matter what because I think every win is not equal. And so um, – you know, I, I heard a lot of people complain that Texas actually went into the polls after losing to Alabama. But in my thought process, it was, you know, they weren't ranked before the season. Nobody really knew because they went 6-6 six six last year. And they hung in with the best team in the land, or one of the two or three best teams in the land, uh, until the very end. Why not have them ranked? You know, just because they lost doesn't necessarily mean you can't move them up. So that's just kind of how I go through it. Pete Martini with us. You have Georgia at one, Alabama at two, Ohio State three, Michigan four. Uh, for Beaver fans, Beaver fans are going to love you. You got the Beavers at 21. You have Oregon yep. at 23, Washington State at 25. Uh, yep. I have I have to ask you, like when you when you know this weekend coming up, some Pac-12 games. What do you need to see from the Beavers to keep them at 21? They got Montana State. Yeah, I just I want to see. Uh, a little bit better consistency, especially in offense. I think that, you know, that first half against Boise State, Chance Nolan looked great. Uh, Musgrave at that tight end was a great weapon. Uh, they've been utilizing uh, some of the other receivers. And here and near and near in Salem would be Anthony Gould from West Salem. So, they, you know, they looked really good that first half against Boise. Kind of sleptwalked through the second half of that game. And then they were there when they needed it to be there against Fresno. But I just, you know, in a, in a game like Montana State, no offense to them, they're a great FCS program. They were in the title game last year. And, you know, Jonathan Smith said that they have the Beavers' attention, which they should. But the Beavers aren't going to lose that game. And I, I think they just need to show just a little bit more consistency on offense. I think the defense has been great. They played a great quarterback last week at Fresno State, who I think is going to be playing on Sundays. And so I, I, I don't really need to see a lot more with the defense. I think they're pretty good. I just want to see that consistency, especially out of Nolan. The Ducks right now, I'm not sure what to make of them. And and you got them on your ballot. You put them at 23. Uh, one yeah. voter has them as high as 12. 39 voters don't even have them on the ballot. You know, what are you making of Oregon? And what do you see there that you like that justifies putting them on the ballot? Well, I think that, the, you know, the offense showed a lot more against Eastern Washington. But, again, it was Eastern Washington and it was at Austin. But the fact that they put up 70 
was really, you know, if they, you know, everybody knew Oregon was going to win that game. If they would have won the game, something like 42-24, 42-27, I would have had to think about it a little bit. But putting up as much as they did at home, I, I do think that ultimately they are a top 25 team. I just think they have a lot to figure out. Um, Bo Nix is kind of what I thought he would be. He's a good, solid starter. Not a lot of special there, but he is he is a good, solid starter. Um, they can win with him if they run the ball well and if the defense does what everybody expected it to do before the season. But it is hard to judge them because they played quite possibly the best team in the country, and then they also played an FCS team. So I think we're really going to learn a lot this week playing a team that may be ranked a little high. I had them pretty high, BYU, um, after beating Baylor. Um but they're going to play, they're going to play a legitimate top twenty five team in Baylor, games that option. So I think we're going to really finally learn a lot about this team this week. Yeah, I think it's one of these weeks where they kind of revealed themselves to the country. We're talking to Pete Martini, Salem Statesman Journal. Which fan base is lobbying you maybe more than others, or uh, a little more aggressively than others? Because I know your email inbox must fill up with people with voters. Um, I hear a lot from Big Twelve teams. Uh, Texas early on with the preseason poll. Um, I heard from I heard from quite a few BYU fans after the the first their first game because uh, they were one of those teams that I had ranked like 19 or 20, and I moved them down like two spots even though they won. Um, but what I explained to them, I tried to explain to fans what my process is, and I kind of reshuffled after the first game. And what I told them is that you know they had games coming up against Baylor and Oregon. And they had a, uh, another couple of top 25 teams that are playing coming up, I think Notre Dame. And so I, I told their fan base, look, you're going to get your shot. You're going to be playing some big-time teams coming up. This is only an early poll. The poll fluctuates every week. Uh, but they were they were the ones that kind of lobbied pretty hard. This week I didn't hear a lot because I think with all the upsets last week, a lot of AP voters kind of put out there saying, boy, I don't know what I'm going to do with my ballot. And so I think fans were kind of – they had already – thought to themselves that the poll's going to come out and nobody's going to feel real confident about it uh, because of everything that happened last week. You know, what do you do with a team like Appalachian State? What do you do with a team like Texas A&M? What do you do with Washington State? You know, I put Washington State in because I think that was a good, tough road win for them. I like what they're doing up there. Um, so I have them barely in a top uh, at number 25. Um, but this week I didn't hear much. I heard, you know, some good stuff from Ducks fans and Beavers fans, of course. Um but I didn't hear a lot of complaints this week. Yeah, and I think the Pac-12, look, I think it's a big week for the Pac-12 because you got games like BYU-Oregon. You have, you know, Michigan State playing at Washington. You have Cal going to Notre Dame. I think there's some opportunities for the for the Pac-12 to uh, to make some ground up uh, that they won't be able to make up during the regular season by sort of proving that they're better than some other conferences. But uh, any big takeaways from you as you look across college football that – you know, after two weeks, where do you see the strength of college football? Um, I, I definitely see it still in the SEC. I think Florida, you know, Utah made their own mistakes in Florida, but I think that was a good one for Florida. Then they get beat um, by an SEC team last week, and so they kind of eat their own a little bit. I think the Big Ten has been a little disappointing. You know, Nebraska, obviously, with all their issues, the Wisconsin loss. I don't think Ohio State looked very good against Notre Dame in week one. Michigan has looked good, but they haven't played anybody yet. Um, so I think my takeaway overall, especially with what happened in the offseason, is that maybe we were a little too quick to crown the Big Ten as much as we did. 
but we'll, we'll see how the season plays out. Pete Martini, our guest, Salem Statesman Journal. Now, I saw your tweet about officiating. This has been near and dear to me. The OSAA has now put out a notice saying, hey, yeah. we have an official shortage, and here's the reason why. It's the treatment that officials receive from players, coaches, and parents and fans. You have been around a lot of high school games, Pete. You've seen it. What are we talking about? I do think, you know, I've talked to a lot of officials, especially the past couple of years. Uh, you know, I did, a, I did a story on a longtime umpire over the summer, and they all said the same thing to me, that, that it's, it's, you don't get a lot of pay. It's travel a lot. It's usually at night, during the, except for football or state tournaments. It's, you know, middle of the week, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights. Um, and if you're going to go there and just take abuse, it's not worth it. Um, it's something that we're going to look into more more deeply here at the Statesman Journal about how much of that is the truth and how much of it is not, how much are we seeing it here in Salem. Um, in my experience, I, I do think that certainly like a home plate umpire takes uh, a, a lot of abuse during during games. You know, that, that's been the case at all levels of baseball for forever. Um, so I do think that it's, it's something that I, I think the USA finally wanted to put their two cents in uh, because they've been pretty quiet about it, uh, about the reason, at least. For a while, they talked about how they're still hiring officials. They need officials. Coaches talking about it. This is why we see a lot more Thursday night football games and Saturday uh, afternoon football games at the high school levels because we need to shuffle around the officials. So they talked about needing officials, but this is the first time that they actually kind of put out an affirmative statement of why they think they need the officials. Um, and, again, we're going to look more deeply into it here as a statesman. Um, but just from what I've heard over the last couple of years, uh, it, it's all been the same thing, that they just don't want to take the abuse. Yeah, and I, and I, I know a lot of parents listen to the show. Look, I've got kids who play youth sports or whatnot. Like, you got to just have some perspective. When you go to the games or you go to the stadium, like if you think your kid got a bad call – and you can't handle yourself, you uh, tweeted this out, if you can't handle your emotions, stay home. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, it, it, um, I don't know if recruiting, you know, the emphasis on recruiting services and all these things have made it a little more intense. I mean, obviously when I played football at Sprague back in the 90s, I'm sure there were a lot of fans up there. I couldn't hear them, but a lot of fans up there that were, saying a lot of the same stuff, but I, I just, that's why I, you know, we want to look into it as statesmen is if it is happening, if that is indeed the reason, why is it happening? And is it a growing trend or is it the same that it's been for the last 30 years? And, you know, to me, I, I don't have any kids. And so it's hard for me to really speak about this, but to me, it does seem pretty easy to just go to the game, cheer on your kids, cheer on your team and not, behave inappropriately it just doesn't seem like it's a difficult thing to do yeah it's not it's really not it's uh, just have some emotional maturity i'm glad you're addressing it pete keep doing what you're doing man we'll bring you back on uh love to get updates on your ballot and good luck with the byu and the uh big 12 fans <laughs> awesome thank you so much i really appreciate it there it is guys i told you the big 12 fans they're, they're a little different it means too much in does, the Big 12. Does it mean more than the SEC? I thought it meant more in the SEC. It means more in the SEC, but it means too much in the Big 12. Like, it, it's there's just something. I don't know if it's 
the geography, I don't, maybe the flat land, there's not enough mountains. I don't know what it is in the middle part of the country. I, I suspect it's that they know they're not the SEC or the Big Ten, and they don't want to be the Pac-12. And so, you know, even this year, the Big 12, BYU's not in the Big 12 yet, but the Big 12's claiming BYU. And so the Big 12 fans are all going, oh, BYU needs to be ranked higher. And I'm like, well, let's see what they do Saturday. Well, does the Big 10 claim USC right now, or does the Pac-12 no. claim USC? Uh, Pac-12, uh, that's an interesting one, because I feel like the whole Pac-12 outside of Los Angeles is rooting against the L.A. teams. Like, do, they don't want it. Yeah, I do too, and they're like number seven right now. Like, as the Pac-12, you should be celebrating, but at nope. the same time, we hate them. And everybody's rooting for Fresno State this week. We'll talk about those games coming up. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to talk a little bit about the week three college football games, Pac-12 in particular. Uh, let's rip through these games. Uh, Steven, Peter, uh, weigh in if you got something to offer on this front. But uh, let's start with the early game on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. South Alabama's at UCLA. We've talked about this game yesterday, I think, Stephen, that we both like the Sun Belt team to cover the spread. 15-and-a-half-point underdog, South Alabama. They're not bad. They'll score some points in this game, I think. But Chip Kelly, he's never been 3-0 in non-conference play at UCLA, and I think he's going to be 3-0. I think UCLA wins it, but I would take South Alabama in the points. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, uh, you know, I just South Alabama, not a great team, but like you said, they can score. So it's going to test the UCLA defense. Uh, 15 and a half points seems like a lot, especially because UCLA has had two easy games. You can count this as probably another game they should win, and then going into Pac-12 play after that, you know, I know it's at Colorado, but it'll be the first Pac-12 conference game. I'm with you. I think UCLA wins, but I think South Alabama keeps it within two touchdowns. It's also interesting that, you know, with Chip Kelly at UCLA, look, it's not UCLA's fault that Michigan backed out on him. Like, that was part of the deal here. They Michigan backed out on them in what should have been a week two game. But I still think we're going to make fun of UCLA because that's what we do. Uh, Cal, Notre Dame. Cal is at Notre Dame 1130 on Saturday on NBC. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. And the Bears are getting 10.5 points as a road underdog. I like Justin Wilcox and Cal in this game. People have said all week that I'm crazy for believing in Cal. They haven't looked great, but I just kind of think this is the kind of game where it's going to be in the 20s. Notre Dame struggled to score. Wilcox is a defensive-minded coach. His transfer quarterback, Jack Plummer, he, play, he transferred from Purdue. He's not going to be blown away by touchdown Jesus and the setting at Notre Dame. I'm picking Cal to win the game outright, but I think for sure they're covering. Yeah, I think you're crazy that Cal's going to win. Uh, but, you know, we were talking today, we were talking about this game. I w looked at the odds, and it was 13-and-a-half at, a, wow. at one of the spots I got. So I took it at 13-and-a-half. That seems like too many points when the total is 40-and-a-half to get 13-and-a-half. I think, I think you're right. I think Cal can keep it close, and Wilcox is going to have something for that Notre Dame offense, which struggles already. You know Wilcox is going to put in a good system. Um, I expect Notre Dame to win this game, but, you know, is it going to be 10 points? Is it going to be 7 points? I think it'll be something like that. I think Cal's in it. Uh, BYU's at Oregon, 1230 on Saturday on Fox. Ducks uh, opened as a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. I haven't looked at the line today. I'm not sure about Oregon, 
But you know what I felt good about yesterday's interview that we did with Dan Lanning, and he talked about hard-boiled eggs, and he talked, you know, I like that he lost his voice, too. So uh, I feel like this is the kind of game where we're going to learn something about Oregon. I'm picking Oregon to win this game. I think it's close. I don't feel great about, like, if, if somebody said, hey, bet on this game, I wouldn't want to because I think it's going to be a really close game, and I don't like, you know, three and a half, three, whatever you're getting on Oregon. I don't like that, but I think Oregon wins this game. I have it 27-26, Oregon. Yeah, it's still at three and a half, and I actually, I'm really confident that Oregon covers this game. Um, I'm going to make this bet definitely for sure. Um, you know, I expected Oregon to lose by a lot to Georgia. I expect them to win by a lot against Eastern Washington, so nothing's changed with that. I thought they were a 9-10 to 10 win team coming in the year, and the, the point should have been more than, more than three and a half, and that's what it's at. So I think Oregon gets it on track. They get some points. I think the defense for Oregon and those athletes will be able to stop that BYU offense, which isn't necessarily explosive. So I do like Oregon minus the three and a half and uh, cover that. Also at 1230 Saturday, ESPN2, Colorado's at Minnesota. Colorado's a 27 and a half point underdog. I just have not seen anything that suggests that Colorado can stay in this game. I have it Minnesota 45, Colorado 13. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know that Colorado's going to win a game this year. Truly, maybe Arizona. Yeah, I mean, twenty-eight. it's 28 now, 27 and a half. I mean, whatever it is, yeah, it seems like a uh, a tough spot to Carl Durrell and the Buffs. By the way, Carl Durrell's contract, they'll owe more than $11 million if they fire him before January 1. So that's seven, not happening. Seven and a half after January 1. So I don't even think they're going to fire him after January 1. I think it will be, I think he'll get one more season. Uh, beyond that, they'll only owe him about $4 million. So I think he gets one more. Michigan State's at Washington. Uh, excuse me, Colorado State's at Washington State, 2 p.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Trap game for, for Washington State? I don't think so. I think it could be, but I'm looking at Cam Ward. I need to see him take a little step forward here. Uh, Washington State gets the win in this game, in my mind. I also think they're going to cover the 17 points against Colorado State. Not impressed with them. I have it 37-17, Washington State. Yeah, that Washington State defense was nasty against Wisconsin, so I think they'll be able to stop Colorado State, and I'm with you. I want to see something out of Cam Ward. I need to see it if I want to think Washington State is a true, you know, contender for anything better than, you know, a six or seven win season. 430 on ABC. Michigan State's at Washington. Big opportunity for Kalen DeBoer. Washington is a three-point favorite. I was surprised by that. I think this game is very close. I like Washington to win. I don't know if they'll cover. I have it 28-27, so I guess I'm saying they're not going to cover, but I think Washington wins a close game against Michigan State. Yeah, this one's tough. I mean, Michigan State is right outside the top 10 in the AP, Washington unranked, and you got Washington as a favorite. When that, when that kind of stuff happens, that makes me think Washington's going to win. So I think Washington wins. I don't know about the spread three, three and a half, what it is, but I think Washington's going to get the win and go, to, uh, go undefeated in the non-conference. Montana State at Oregon State. Tough to find a line on this one, but I did. The Beavers are 13-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, feels about right to me. I have some other people picking Oregon State to score a bunch of points in this game. I don't think they're going to play that way. They're resting a whole bunch of offensive linemen and starters. Luke Musgrave's not going to play in this game. I think Oregon State wins, wins pretty easily, 28-14. Yeah, give me the Beavs. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not betting I'm on this game, but Beavs going to win. All right, we'll talk more. we got some other games. We'll do it on the other side of the break. San Diego State at Utah is where we'll start. We'll talk Fresno State, USC. Arizona State and Arizona playing the late games. Can they be trusted? That would be new this week. Plus the 5 at 5 coming up. 5 o'clock hour is going to move fast because we are going to play What's Your Peeve? We're going to do the 5 at 5, and we're going to do uh, What's on Tap in addition to the picks. So we will move at a lightning-fast pace in the 5 o'clock hour, and I hope you're here for it on this great Friday. 
I don't know if I'm a good parent or bad parent, but my six-year-old got punched today at school, and I told her, good job by you punching back. Is that bad parenting? You can tweet at me, at John Canzano, BFT. I'm sure we're going to get a call from the principal at some point. You got the BFT statewide. I want you to leave it here. Happy hour is ahead. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. It's the happy hour, the five o'clock hour on a Friday. It's always fast moving, a little bit dicey, but fast moving. We'll do the five at five coming up in a moment. We're going to finish our Pac 12 picks from last segment. Steven and I, and Peter and if you're out there and you're wanting the Pac-12 schedule with the picks, I've got it all at johnconzano.com. Make sure you are subscribed. Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you, johnconzano.com. San Diego State's at Utah, 7 o'clock Saturday, ESPN2. This is a game Utah last lost last season, but they will not make that mistake again. They are a 21-point favorite. I think they're going to win big against the Aztecs. I like the Utes. 38-13 was my score, but I think Utah wins going away. Yeah, no, I th- I agree. I think Utah has something to prove. You know, after that loss to Florida, I think they got to be disappointed that they lost that opening game to Florida and Anthony Richardson. I know that he looked awesome in that game, but then Florida comes out, loses week two to Kentucky. If you're Utah, you want to get back in that college football playoff race, you got to put up some style points. And I know that doesn't necessarily matter to a lot of people, but you got to get some big wins over teams. I know San Diego State's not great, you want to get some big wins. So style points, I think, are going to matter. Cam Rising looked awesome in week two. I expect a big game out of them. Yeah, I think Utah wins big. By the way, they're 45-10 and 10 in non-conference regular season games all time under Kyle Whittingham, and they've won 27 straight non-conference home games. It's third uh, longest active streak among major college programs. Moving on. Uh, let's go to the Fresno State-USC game, 7.30 Saturday night on Fox. USC has not turned the ball over, not once, not an interception, not a fumble. I kind of think like some of that is good. Like, hey, it means that they're uh, they're probably outclassing their opponents, and it also means that they have done a good job with ball security. But some of it is a little lucky, like to not have one tipped pass, not one fumble. I think uh, that luck runs out at some point. I don't know if it happens this week. Of course, they're going to turn the ball over this season at some point. But Jeff Tedford's team. It's got a good quarterback. It's got good receivers. It's got a solid running back. This is USC's best test yet. Fresno State's going to move the ball. I think Fresno State's going to score points. USC about a 12.5-point favorite. Uh, I think USC wins the game, but I have it 41-35 Trojans. I agree with you. I think Fresno State's going to put up a fight. And you talk about the turnovers with USC, not having a turnover, and really capitalizing on other turnovers from other teams. You know who doesn't have an interception this year? Jake Hayner. He hasn't thrown one either. And he's already come out and talked about how he wanted to play at USC when he was a kid. He wasn't good enough. didn't have enough stars by his name to play there. I think he comes out and comes up on fire. I, you know, I'm still not sold on this USC defense as being super tough. I know that they have caused a lot of turnovers, but when teams get going on you, are they going to be able to fight back and get that stop when they need? It's going to be high scoring, exciting. I think Fresno State stays with the number and has a sneaky chance of winning this game. Yeah, and the other thing too with this with this game is, you know, if you are Fresno State, I get what this game means to you, 
And this, this thing opened at 12 and a half. It's now down to 11 and a half and 10 and a half in some places. So I, I think a lot of people are waking up to this. The 1992 Freedom Bowl, uh, people here don't remember it. You know, I, if I asked you who played in the 92 Freedom Bowl, you'd be like, I don't know, let me look it up. But I, if you go to Fresno and you ask somebody walking down the street in Fresno about the 1992 Freedom Bowl, they're going to go, Fresno State, USC, upset win. Everybody there remembers it. It was the Super Bowl for a Jim Sweeney coach team that went to the Coliseum and won. And, you know, you uh, you talk about uh, – it beat USC in that game. So you talk about the 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 chance that Fresno State's going to win this game. I think you build that argument by saying that this game means a whole bunch to Fresno State and their players. It It doesn't mean that much to USC. And I think there's a little bit of a challenge here for Lincoln Riley – that he gets a possible letdown in this game. And Lincoln Riley has only lost in his career as a head coach one time um, to an unranked team playing a home game. Iowa beat him when he was at Oklahoma, an unranked Iowa team. I think this game is dicey for him, but I, I think USC probably wins it. But it's I think it's going to be a really good game. And then I actually think the game time being a 7.30 kickoff on a Saturday night I think it benefits Fresno State a little bit. They've been in this position. They play those night games. I kind of wonder about the psychology of USC in this game. Won't be surprised if USC starts slow in this game. Eastern Michigan at Arizona State, 8 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Eastern Michigan's bad. They got outscored 49-7 to in the second half last week. They lost to Louisiana Lafayette. Herm Edwards, if he watched the film, he's going to know what to do here. So I think the Sun Devils win this one, but... I keep saying it every week. I don't trust Arizona State. No, I don't trust them either. And this seems like an Arizona State spot where they get the win. It's not very impressive. You know, it may be three scores, 24 points, something like that. But you're not impressed, right? And you, they have a chance to impress last week against Oklahoma State, and they lay a big egg, just didn't compete in that game. Classic Arizona State spot. But, yeah, I think they get the win over Eastern Michigan. Cover, you know, whatever. I'm not, making, I'm not making a play on that one. Yeah, North Dakota State in the nightcap. They are playing at Arizona. This is an 8 o'clock kickoff time on FS1. Petros Papadakis on the call. Um, Arizona trying to finish non-conference play with a winning record. North Dakota State is tough. They are the defending FCS national champions. They make a living beating FBS schools. They're 9-3 and three all time when playing up in the division. And better yet, they've won six straight against FBS schools. So they beat Iowa 23-21 in 2016. And by the way, Iowa's number 16 when they beat them. This is the Super Bowl for North Dakota State. It's a game they think they can win. They got a quarterback in Cam Miller who is a uh, a good player. Uh, they got a bunch of receivers. Um, this one is dicey, really dicey for the Pac-12. I'm picking North Dakota State in this game. I think they're going to win it. And I think the Arizona's in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I think you're kind of right. I think you're right. I think North Dakota State gets the win on Arizona, and I, I was a big Arizona guy. I thought they were going to keep it close to Mississippi State, but you watched last week, Jaden Delora running for his life, and I don't know how that's going to change against North Dakota State. Those guys are still going to get after you and put some pressure on the quarterback, so I don't have a lot of faith uh, up front for Arizona. North Dakota State obviously is a really good program, great coached. I think you're right. I think North Dakota State goes on the road, gets the win over Arizona. 
I mean, North Dakota State was supposed to play Oregon during the pandemic season. They have rescheduled the game for 2028. And I kind of think, like, I remember at the time, the North Dakota State people were all asking me, like, you know, do you think Oregon can beat North Dakota State? And I was like, well, of course they can't. And then I started looking at what North Dakota State has done over the years. Like, they are dangerous right now, and nobody will play them. They're, you know, they're getting Arizona this year. Next season, uh, they have an open date in their non-conference schedule because uh, people have dropped out. 2024, they play at Colorado. 2025, they don't have anybody. Um, I think, you know, and they have that 2028 game on the schedule against Oregon. North Dakota State is tough, and they're good at what they do, and that program is just rolling. So look out for them. All right, let's play uh, the 5 at 5. It's the five biggest stories. I'm going to get you caught up. We will do What's Your Peeve coming up after that. You got the bald-faced truth. Let's do the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. President Joe Biden has met with the spouse of Brittany Griner. It's kind of a show to, to, to basically say, hey, look, we're thinking about the WNBA and the WNBA star. But, you know, Joe Biden met, reassured Brittany Griner's spouse that he's working with the WNBA to get her freedom. It's really interesting because Griner has been in a Russian prison and, you know, was sentenced to nine years in August. But last month, Russia said it was engaged in some quiet diplomacy with the United States about a prisoner swap. And everybody got excited saying, hey, this could be it. This could be the thing. Uh, Russia wants a spy. And the United States wants the WNBA, WNBA star back. Is that a fair trade? We're going to find out. Joe Biden in the news as he is meeting with the wife of detained star Brittany Griner. The NBA Players Association is hopping mad at the Phoenix Suns and the NBA by extension. Tamika Tramaglio says she was speaking on behalf of the NBA players today when she called for a lifetime ban of Robert Sarver. Sarver was given a one-year suspension by the league for making racist and misogynist remarks. They are absolutely calling for a lifetime ban, she said in an interview on ESPN's NBA Today. They do not want Robert Sarver in the league. I kind of think that even if the league doesn't do anything, what free agent is going to go play for the Phoenix Suns if Robert Sarver is the owner? I think there's a big-time problem for the Suns that's forming on the horizon. they got to figure out what they're going to do. Even if the league does nothing, I think they're in trouble. Number three in the 5 at 5, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert is now listed as day-to-day. He's got a fracture in his rib cartilage. Ouch. Isn't that kind of how he started? as the starting quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers. Remember, there was a injection. There was some ribs. You know, it was Tyrod Taylor who was the starter. His coach, Brandon Staley, came out today and said, look, we're going to know more after next Wednesday. We'll take the weekend. We'll take Monday, Tuesday. We'll learn more. Chargers have nine days before they have to play again. Play Jacksonville at SoFi Stadium in week three. So I guess the luxury of playing on a Thursday is if you get hurt on a Thursday, you got some extra time. That's number three. Number four, Dennis Schroeder back with the Lakers. One year, $2.6 million. Lakers get some depth. It's not splashy, but because it's the Lakers and, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's in uniform, it raises some eyebrows. Rob Palenka, the Lakers GM, 
said he reached out to Westbrook in recent days to tell him, hey, we're, we're planning to sign a veteran guard to fill that 14th roster spot. Schroeder averaged 15 points and six assists with the Lakers uh, two years ago. By the way, two years ago, he turned down an extension worth north of $80 million during the season. Then he struck out in free agency, got a one-year deal with the Celtics for about $6 million. Now he's back with the Lakers for $2.6 million. Fire your agent. Finally, Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan. He'll have to relive a painful memory. Ryan, uh, the ball that he used to surpass 60,000 career passing yards on Sunday against the Texans was put on display at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. There's an unfortunate coincidence on the ball, though. The serial number on the ball is number 283. That's reminiscent of the 28-3 score that the Falcons had at in the third quarter against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Patriots went on to win 34-28, but uh, the ball with the serial number 283 is now on display in Canton. Ryan said, I had no idea. I never even looked at the serial number. The Colts prepare numerous footballs for the game. So it was completely random that the ball that was used to surpass 60,000 yards also is the ball with the serial number 283. That is the 5 at 5. You guys think somebody did that on purpose? I don't think so. I think that's just pure coincidence. It's random. You just can't get away from it. <laughs> it's just random. Like, this is such a random thing. Like, because they had to know he was close to 60,000 yards. Do you, you don't think, like, some ball boy went, you know, it would be really funny if ball 283 was the ball that he broke the record with? Yeah, if they're that clever, though, they should be doing something besides being a ball boy, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, go figure it out. Yeah. He's, he's one of those trolls on Twitter, you know, with the, with the egg avatar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, what's on tap coming up? After that, we'll play What's Your Peeve? You got the BFT on a Friday. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got a big weekend coming up. A whole bunch of college football games going on. We'll go through them here. We'll also tell you what is going on uh, elsewhere in the NFL and whatnot. Uh, it is all part of a segment that we call What's on Tap. Now, it's time for What's on Tap and What's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. Well, on Saturday at 11.30 a.m., you should be tuned into NBC as Cal and Notre Dame are going to play a big football game. But about halftime of that game, you should be flipping over to Fox to see BYU at Oregon. 12.30 kickoff on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Want another fun game to tune into? How about 4.30 ABC? Michigan State's playing Washington. I'll be tuned in watching that one, probably from the press box at Autzen Stadium. Uh, later in the day, 5 o'clock... Pac-12 Network has Montana State at Oregon State. And in the evening, I think the game to see is the Fresno State-USC game, 7.30 Saturday 
on uh, on uh, Fox. That is a game that you need to tune into. Coming up Sunday, I'm just going to rip through these games, the uh, early slate uh, of games that are going on. I think I'm more interested in the afternoon than I am the morning, but the Falcons playing at the Rams, 1 o'clock Sunday from SoFi Stadium. Same time, Seahawks-Niners kick it off at 1 o'clock. I hope you check out both those games. And then let's go to the Sunday night game. It's Chicago at Green Bay. The 1-0 undefeated Chicago Bears going to Lambeau Field. And then Monday we got a couple of games, Tennessee and Buffalo and Minnesota and Philadelphia. That's what's on tap. All right, of all that stuff I mentioned, guys, what do you want to watch? Man, I mean, me for, obviously, it would be Oregon BYU. By the way, I'm going to do a PSA. Most people probably know this, but if you have the equipment, that game is also going to be broadcast in 4K. So if you didn't know that, hunt through the channels. There will be an alternate feed. Uh, Aside from that, uh, in the NFL, I don't know if you mentioned it, but I'm actually I'm kind of curious about Seattle-San Francisco. I certainly don't think Seattle's a good team, but boy, they sure looked at least average last week, uh, or I guess earlier this week. I want to see uh, how they perform against San Fran. Yeah, and with that Seattle game, it's actually supposed to rain at Santa Clara. So mm. could it be another weather game for the 49ers? That would be uh, very interesting. Uh, for the NFL, I think uh, the game that I'm looking forward to the most um, is I kind of want to see uh, what was the game I was looking at right now? Uh, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. That's what I want to see. I want to see if New Orleans if the, you know their defense looked okay in the second half against Mariota and the Falcons, I want to see if they can step up against Brady, who's missing Chris Godwin. Um, I think if New Orleans can get that win, maybe they're trying to be a playoff team. Uh, and the game I'm looking for in college, it's Fresno State USC. I think Fresno State has a chance to pull off that upset, and so I want to see if Jake Hayner, you know, can go unscathed and not turn the ball over and not give USC the like, good field position. And if he does that, I think they got a shot. USC is interesting. I know we all love to hate him. Okay, we do, but. At what point would we have to believe in them? If they if they beat Fresno State, do you go, okay, maybe they're legit? Or does that wait until, you know, their next three after that are at Oregon State, home against Arizona State, home against Washington State, October 15th, they're at Utah, out Salt Lake City. Is Do we have to wait for the Utah game to say USC's good? Most likely, but I'll tell you, like, if they just beat the pants off of Fresno State and they have a turnover, you know, you can't say it's another fluky game. Like, okay, Williams threw a pick and they mm-hmm. coughed one up on the 20 and they still, you know, win by 25, 26 points. You say, okay, this team's legit. Otherwise, I think you're right. Yeah, I'm with both of you. If they dominate Fresno State, I think you could say, okay, maybe this team is for real. But, yeah, if there's a bunch of turnovers and they do it the same way they've been doing it, I can't buy in until they beat a really good elite team and I can't consider them a college football playoff contender until that moment. I think it's going to be really fun to see what happens with them. I, I, you know, I said at the beginning of the year, I, I, I did not think that USC could win more than nine games, and I wouldn't have been surprised if they won seven or eight. So, either I'm wrong about them, and they're way ahead of where they should be at the point of attack, line of scrimmage, offensive line, defensive line. That's where they had their big problems last year. They had Drake London. They had great skill guys. They could not stop opposing rushing attacks, and they could not run the ball themselves. Has that changed so much uh, just with Lincoln Riley coming in and bringing in a bunch of receivers, a bunch of transfers coming in? Maybe it has, but I'm, i, I got to see it to believe it. I think Fresno State's a great test for them. Uh, okay, coming up, we're going to pivot to what's your peeve. You can start lining up right now. You know how the game works. If there is something that bothers you, 
something that is bothering you today that you saw and you're like, I need to get this off my chest. I want you to call in at 503-417-7575. This is our way of uh, letting you blow some steam off. If there's something that's bothered you for a while and you haven't been able to talk about it, this is your opportunity. If you have a neighbor, if you have a friend, if you have a coworker who's driving you crazy, this is your opportunity. Don't worry. If they're listening, they'll understand. 503-417-7575 is the number. What's your peeve? We do it every Friday. I, we're going to play it coming up next. I want you to get that. Line up now. We've got two lines open. Grab those lines. We'll rip through those calls. We'll uh, have the best callers on the air, and uh, we will kick around what your peeve is. I have a peeve. I want you to share yours. 503-417-7575. Line up now. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Well, it's a great Friday. I know you got a big weekend ahead, and I want you to enter the weekend with a clear mind. I want you to have no nothing bothering you. If people ask you how you're doing, you're not, you're not going to stop and go, you know what, something's been bugging me. You're not going to do that. You know why? Because of this segment. You're going to get it all off your chest right here. The uh, segment, What's Your Peeve? What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. <laughs> Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. You know what my peeve is? I can guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's just me. excited. That's it's me, not guys. on you. That's it really me. isn't. I, it was a weird pause by me, so I don't blame you. I, I'll take ownership. That's fine. You know what? It's it's on me. I, I make mistakes. We all make mistakes here, guys. It's all good. <laughs> Peter knows your pain because when Peter was sitting in that chair too, I, I have I do some awkward pausing. I'm not Jim Rome like like he just pauses and then he doesn't do anything for a while, but I do have some awkward cadence. I, I'm usually pretty good at it, but yeah, that was uh, that was an obvious mistake there. But, so yeah, my fault. It's all good. It's all good. But what is your peeve? Line up now at 503-417-7575. Let's take a couple. I have one. I know you guys do as well. But we're going to start with Matthew in Vancouver, who grabbed the first phone line. Matthew, what's your peeve? Hey, John. Uh, my peeve is with uh, semi-truck drivers. When did they get car launched to the middle lane on freeways? Hmm. Yeah, when did that happen? And then they're passing each other, and they're taking up the fast lane, and then there's three abreast, and you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I always uh, I give that, that, that driver the benefit of the doubt because that driver is driving a rig that is big and heavy and needs extra room. I give you a wide berth, but don't take advantage of me because I'm giving you a wide berth. That's what Matthew's saying. How about Charlie in Vancouver? Charlie, what's your peeve? First of all, great, Matthew. I agree. Secondly, John, I admit, I, sh I leave work early almost every day, but I show up more than that much earlier every day. And I, I work at a school, and I think I probably mentioned the kids with behavior issues. I don't leave while the kids are there. We have a blowout day Friday. I mean, it's a blowout day in our building. Just 
crazy, crazy, crazy. And the teacher next door, right before our community meeting, decides it's time to book out, which is a half an hour before the students leave. And her kids are just left. And it's like, whoa, we're 10 people down. You know this. And you decide to book out. Don't work at a job you don't like to do to where you can't stay. Karen. (laughs) Exactly, man. Charlie in Vancouver laying it on. That's right. And and here's the other thing. If you are going to leave early, like, talk to some other people. Like, you know, there is a case, like, you know, we all understand, like, things happen. Like, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Karen's got a sick kid. Maybe uh, there's a doctor's appointment and Karen's like, look, their doctor's office closes at 5.30. I got to be there at 4.45. I need to leave early. Hey, can you watch my kids? That discussion has to happen. But don't just uh, leave to leave and leave us all wondering. 503-417-7575. Got two lines open now. Justin's in Gresham. Justin, what's your peeve? Hey, John, I only caught a bit of your beginning statement about um, a fight at school. So my peeve is my two high school boys get jumped by five people at school, and the school says they can only suspend two of them because they don't have video. But I have video evidence showing five physically attacking them, and now I have to deal with them saying, well, we only see two, and they won't accept my video. Why won't they take your video? I've sent it to five different board members, and I had a meeting this morning with the principal at East County. I won't say the name of the school. Right. And she said that that video is inadmissible because it wasn't the school video. Oh, technicality. So if it doesn't happen on a school video, it doesn't happen? Right, but it was other students sending video that shared on social media being sent to my boys, and then I copied it and I sent it to them. How do you handle that as a parent? Do you Is there any reaching out to the other kids' parents? Because I think most parents would be reasonable, or does everybody get weird if you kind of reach out and go, hey, there was an issue here. Uh, can you and I get a cup of coffee and talk about it? Well, the, my students don't know these other students. They have, they're new to the school. So I filed a police report, and the only way I can obtain their information is through the police report because the school won't share the information. Interesting. I appreciate you, man. Good luck to you. Our our incident was a little lighter. Uh, our six-year-old was on the playground, and kid at her school, who's in the same grade, uh, came up and punched her in the neck. And unfortunately for him, she's a boxer. So I said to her, uh, you know, Anna was fired up. And I said to the kid, uh, our kid Soji, I said, hey, uh, you got my permission to hit him back. And she said, oh, I did. She said, I hit him and I kicked him. And then she took two steps and said, you don't mess with a boxer. I'm glad she did that. I'm glad that she's standing up for herself. I might be a bad parent for saying that, but I don't want her to allow somebody to take a swing and not do anything about it. James is in Myrtle Creek. This might be our first call ever from Myrtle Creek. James, welcome to the show. What's your peeve? Yes, my peeve is I was looking on Facebook and uh, Duck Nation, and there was some idiot on there says, I guess it's a building year, even though they're one and one. Wait, wait, I missed that. It's it's a what, what? A building year, because even though they're one, only one and one, Yeah. They uh, he was thinking, of, uh, or she was thinking of some kind of, they're uh, going to be building this year. It's like God. Yeah, give them a chance. Like, you don't even know. It's a rebuilding year. 
That's why you got to stay off Facebook right there. Evidence. Uh, so far, guys, who has the biggest peeve of all the callers that have called in? Uh, I think the guy with the high school kids. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, that kind of goes beyond peeve, doesn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. more like, uh, yeah, you something's got to happen with that. Like, that's weird. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I would want to involve, like, you know, if that was my kid, I probably would want to be like, let me reach out to the parent of the other kid yeah. just to see where they stand. Like, because if your kid is the aggressor, I get it. Like, we all get very protective of our kids. But if your kid is genuinely the aggressor or there was some kind of incident where kids jumped kids, like, I would just think a rational person would be like, hey, I'm going to sit down with my kid and be like, this isn't okay. This isn't good. Like, we don't want you involved in this. The, the thing is, though, is, you know, my wife has a high school teacher. I hear these stories from her, and a lot of the parents just don't care about their kids, which is so mm. sad. And, you know, she tells me these stories, and it's just, like, it's heartbreaking. It's crazy that these kids even can function in the world, and they're set up just to fail. And so, you know, you don't know the situation. So it could be a situation where those kids' parents don't even care, and they're just like, whatever. You know, you figure it out. It's brutal. It's bad. I think parent like, you know, it's interesting because we had – uh, I think it's called back to school night, but they called it curriculum night at our kids' elementary school last night. And I, I got to be honest, like my wife and I went and we got to see where our kids sit in the classroom and looking around and, uh, you know, and talking with the teachers and stuff. One of the things that comes up is that parental involvement is a big predictor of student success. And you talk about, you know, you probably, you know, Stephen, you have a great experience with this, with your wife working on a campus. Like, you know, I think there's a direct correlation. Like if parents are involved Parents are parents are interested. The kids tend to do better. Definitely. And, you know, a lot of these kids, they just, you know, they don't get the support at home. So then they feel like, well, all adults don't care about me and I'm not supposed to, you know, I don't care what they have to say because they don't care about me where that's where my wife comes in. She, you know, she tries to make sure that everyone knows that her classroom is a safe space and that she cares about everybody. And, you know, she gets a lot of compliments saying, you know, you actually get these kids to do things. When in my classes, they don't. And it's because, well, because she cares and she cares about these kids. So I do. I agree with you. It's very important uh, just to have some type of love, you know, from like an adult figure to a high school kid. I think it's really important. Dave is in Vancouver. Let's see what Dave's got. Dave, what's your peeve? Hey, John, long time. Uh, so I run a self-checkout station in a major grocery chain. Okay. And people come through there with these huge carts of groceries, four kids. They have no idea what they're doing. That's no longer self-checkout. That is me ringing up your crap, and I'm kind of sick of it. There should be rules, and they don't yes. let me enforce the rules. I'm told they can come through there. That's brutal. It is. It's horrible. You know. So help us out. You got any other peeves? Because a lot of people, we all go to the grocery store. There's got to be a laundry list of things that bother you. How about if somebody's on their phone, and you're trying to check them out, and they're having a conversation? That's rude. I don't talk to them. I don't talk to them at all. I'll ring up their crap and hand them their receipt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry, Dave, that you have to deal with that. As See a former that? Costco employee, I feel his pain, man. I know exactly what he's talking about. Oh, it's frustrating. But all right, help, help us yeah. out with that. Like, give it. Like, drill down on that. Like, how? What? What's wrong with that? How wrong is it? And the uh, the sort of the. Uh, I guess, the, the behavior of people in the checkout lines. Well, so the self-checkout, it, it doesn't make sense. If you have a large order, you don't want to do it yourself. Like, you're doing the job for them. They have people that do the job for you, and so they're going to do it faster than you because they're better than you at it. Like, they do it all the time. Do that. The self-checkout is for you know, a couple items. You're in and out. It's not for these big, giant orders. 
And then those lines get so big. So I know what he's talking about. And then, like, at Costco, like, the worst thing for me is just, like, people would be, you go up to the register, you buy all this stuff, and they're like, oh, I couldn't find this. Can you find it for me? It's like, well, yeah, but you should have asked me before you're done checking out so then the next person in line can go through. It just clogs up everything. Like, I just feel like just sometimes a little bit of common sense needs to be yeah. put into grocery stores when you're shopping there. Like, yes, these people are working, but, like, you can't rely on them for everything. Right? Like, take a little responsibility for yourself. I like that. Take some responsibility and use some common sense. Peter Sampson, what's your peeve? This might sound strange, John, but right now, <laughs> this week, my peeve is squirrels. Uh, it's weird to talk for the second time today about my tomato garden, but you you can probably imagine it's it's harvest season, and every day I'm going out there to grab my dozen or so tomatoes, and the ones there will be one that hangs down to the ground, and it'll have a big bite mark out of it, and I wonder what's going on. I finally catch a squirrel taking a bite out of one of my beefsteak tomatoes, but that's not all. Picking up my kid from school this afternoon, man, one jumps out in front of my car, it gives me the false start. And I'm trying to dodge this thing. I don't want to kill an animal. I practically drive into a parked minivan. You know how narrow those side streets are in Northeast Portland. They're they're dressed up rats. They're a menace <laughs> to the city folk. I can do without squirrels. No squirrels in Peter Sampson's neighborhood. That's his peeve. Steven, what's your peeve? When Peter's governor, squirrels, they're out. I like it. Uh, my peeve is, so, you know, my dad likes to joke with me. You know, you talked about the podcast I have. I work sometimes at the Timbers games. He always says I'm the hardest working guy in radio, which is not true, but he always says that. So, you know, at night when the kids go to bed, I just want a little peace. I want a little quiet. I want to relax. I want to play some video games, right? So I go and grab the controller. Controller's dead. You know, it's like just charge the controller, kid. If you're going to play, which is fine, we got you these controllers. We got you the system. Just charge it. So then when dad puts you to bed, he wants a little break time, I can play and I don't have to worry about it. It, it really peeves me. And uh, that happened last it's night. Rude. Yeah, it's rude. My uh, kids I, are rude. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I, I'll, I'll piggyback off that one. Uh, yesterday, this game's on Amazon Prime, right? I went to look. We have Apple TV. I went to look for that Apple TV remote, which is very thin and small, and uh, it's nowhere to be found. The kids, three girls in our household, they will use it, and they don't put it back. Mm -hmm. They leave it between the cushions. They leave it on the floor. Mm -hmm. It gets put under the sofa. Uh, so for about a week, I have been unable to use the main TV because I, we don't have the Apple remote. So I had to go to a secondary TV last night to watch the game. I, I feel your pain because I was having this problem with my entire family. And I sat them all down. And we had a family meeting. And I said, okay, guys, <laughs> here's the controller. When you're done, you have to put it here. I am tired of getting on my hands and knees, looking under the couch with the flashlight on my phone, trying to find the stinking controller, put it back no. here on the counter. And it still doesn't go on the counter. I, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss of words. I love it. Start taking toys away, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, you start hiding Drowned things it. that are fundamental to them, like their toothbrush. <laughs> you know, that, that, that they'd be excited about. You that. know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, you can, I can't find the remote. You can't find your toothbrush. We're even. Uh, my peeve. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to one that's, that it might be controversial. Um, I've just noticed. I don't like people that are rude. Okay, and. Anybody who's worked in the service industry knows that it, once you worked in a service industry like a restaurant, you understand that um, you got great empathy in, for, for the people who work in a restaurant. But I just have noticed something that you know, I kind of brought it up in passing on a show maybe a week or two ago. But when we're in a restaurant 
and you're having an important conversation at the table, like let's just say you're leaned over with your spouse and you're talking about something or you're making plans or you're checking a schedule and you're going, you know, Anna's going, hey, where are you going to be this weekend or what are we doing, uh, you know, which who's got a soccer game tomorrow, all this stuff. If you're the server in that situation, you don't interrupt. You don't. You can come back. Like, and I know that sounds like maybe I'm nitpicking, but I, I just have felt like more and more that, you know, if you're the customer, what happened to the customer's right? And and here's the other peeve I have. Like, it's the same customer service type thing. How come sometimes I'm in a place, like maybe I'm buying something at the counter, I'm always inclined to say thank you to the to the clerk? How come I can't get a thank you back sometimes? Like, thank you for shopping here. It's me going, thank you. And they go, no problem. You know, I'm like, no, you should be thanking me. Why am I thanking you? Is it a Larry David moment? <laughs> I think it is a little Larry David because, like, <laughs> and I love Larry David, so I'm kind of on your side. But at the same time, like, why do they care? Why would they care if you shop there or not? I know. They're going to get their paycheck anyway. Next I time know. they hand you your groceries, just go, hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I'll do Dwayne Johnson in The Rock. Like, I... I just, I've noticed it, and once you notice it, it drives you crazy because, and usually it's a kid, and look, I, and I've got a late teenager, you know, in our, in our household, we've got a 19-year-old, so uh, I get it, like sometimes they're just in their own world or whatnot, but I just have noticed a few times where I'm going into a business and I feel like, you know, I'm making a choice to shop here or be here, and I got, you know, a server who's interrupting me while I'm trying to have a conversation, uh, asking me if I need breadsticks or Asking me, you know, anything else, like, no, just wait or just bring the bill. Like, I'm in a conversation. And then the second one is that that whole thing where, I, like, I'll make the transaction, and I don't know why I do this. I say thank you. It's kind of just inherent for me to be like, oh, thanks, as they're checking me out. I, I, but I'm paying you. Why am I thanking you? Yeah, the one that I do now, I always say I appreciate you because, you know, I used to drive Uber and DoorDash and all that, and when people don't tip, it's so annoying and so, like, I always appreciated all the tips. I appreciated anything, like, good words. And so I always try to tell people that I appreciate them, especially in the customer service business. I don't know if they like it or not, but that's my thing. So I don't, I don't say thank you to them. I appreciate them. We had a uh, nightmare Uber driver in Atlanta. Nightmare. Like, I, I feel like I'm a pretty easy customer. But we're in Atlanta for this Oregon-Georgia game, and we had a uh, early return flight on Sunday morning after the uh, Ducks lost to Georgia. So Anna and I are leaving downtown Atlanta. We got a flight that's like 8 a.m., okay? It's a painful Sunday morning flight. Uh, so, you know, we're up at like 5.30. We're going to leave. We want to be at the airport, you know, before 7. So, you know, we were saying, oh, the airport's like 15 minutes away. Let's leave at 6.30, okay? So we order up the Uber and I see the Uber driver drive past because I'm tracking him. I'm looking at him. I look at him. I wave at him. He drives past without seeing me. Then I'm tracking him. He makes a left-hand turn. And he goes down three or four blocks and then he stops. And so I thought I could cancel the ride or I could just call him. He must be lost. So I called him and I said, hey, you drove by us. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. He's running an errand. Okay, and so then he eventually comes back, takes him about 10 minutes. He gets to us, and immediately I'm empathetic because I realize he's older. And I thought, oh, the issue is we got an older driver. That's okay. I'm going to be easy going with this guy. Well, I subsequently watch him. 
He's a terrible driver. Okay, he the light is turning yellow when he's like ten feet from going into the intersection, and he's slamming on the brakes. The uh, you know he's anticipating a yellow and he's slowing down. I'm starting to look at the clock, going, we got to be at the airport by seven, and this is like a ten or fifteen minute drive. We're suddenly pushing towards seven. So he finally, I'm looking at Anna. She's not saying a word. I'm kind of telling him. I'm mapping the airport to make sure he's making the right turns because I, I, I think he really doesn't know the way there. And I'm watching his, I'm kind of double-checking his work. And when we get close to the terminal, he says, uh, domestic or international? And I said, domestic. You know, I can't remember the airline we're on, but let's just say Delta. Domestic. And he says, okay. And I'm watching him. He takes the international turn. He goes the wrong way. And I said, you just went the wrong way. He said, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. You, you went international. I said, we need to go back the other way. He said, no, I didn't. And, and, and so finally he realizes he's wrong. We have to go all the way back around to the terminal, right? And then as we're pulling in the second time, I say to him, just let us out. We're now at 7 o'clock. We're trying to catch this flight. I said, just pull over and let us out. We're better walking at this point. There's a whole bunch of traffic ahead. He says, no, no, I can't let you out here. I can't let you out here. I said, yes, you can. Just pull over and let us out. He finally pulled over, but he went way past the terminal before he parked. We got out. I was like done with him, just walked off. Stephen, is it wrong if I leave him negative feedback? I have not left him feedback. I feel like he's an older person. Maybe, you know, he's just trying to make some money. I didn't want to kill him with a bad rating. Should I give him a bad rating? Bad rating, for sure. He was a bad bad Uber driver. It's, it's okay. If you're a bad <laughs> Uber driver, you, you deserve a bad rating. I don't know, though. The ones that I didn't like is, like, I would get a four-star, and it's like, well, I just, you know, I got you from point A to point B, and there was no problems. I got you there on time. Like, why am I getting a four-star? There's no reason for that. Like, the job is literally to get you from point A to point B safely without crashing or getting a ticket or anything, get there on time. He didn't do that, right? So, no, he deserves negative feedback. Give him five stars if they get you there in time. So how many stars should I give that guy? That's like a one or two, man. That's bad. If he's if he doesn't know where you are, he takes the wrong exits. He was going. He ran an errand before he picked us yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you're going to pick up some, you know, Hershey bars. Probably should I, give him one star. I had a guy one time who uh, it was a lady who was the driver. Uh, she had a passenger, like a friend, riding in the front seat with her. I, I didn't think you could do that as an Uber driver. Okay. Like I thought it was against the rules. Yeah, it is. They were having a conversation. It was her friend. They were just talking. Like, oh, I'm going to drive people around, get a talk. And, but I was like, ah, why is this other person here in the ride? I don't know. That's weird. It is weird. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson in the Pulse coming up. Just a few minutes, top of the hour. Peter, what are you going to talk about? Man, it's a Friday show, so that means we're going to do what's in your glass, as we always do. Because if you can't have an adult beverage or non-adult, Friday at 6 p.m., when can you? But I really want to cook around this uh, Robert Sarver situation. I mean, it really seems like the beginning of the end. And I... I guess I understand Adam Silver's position, even though it was such a terrible look, but it really looks like the uh, forces that be, which are dollars, are going to force this guy out anyway. Yeah, it, it, here's the thing. Like, okay, let's just say the NBA, Adam Silver throws his hands up, says, I can't do anything. The Players Association's on record. LeBron's on record. He's speaking for star players in the league. Can Phoenix ever recruit a 
superstar player, guys? Do, or do you think money talks? Do you think players will go, you know what, I'm just not going to play there? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, money does talk to a degree, but if you're a superstar, look, superstars all make the same amount of money. There's a max contract. So if it's a max contract here or a max contract there, they're just going to skip out on Phoenix. And I don't think it's an accident. Over the last couple of years, Sarver's involvement has been reduced a little bit. You know, there were some allegations that started with the Earl Watson stuff. And it's no accident that once he's not involved, the team's the team actually gets good. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's kind of like the tiebreaker, right? Like Peter's right that if they're going to get that max contract, they're probably not going to sign with Phoenix. But if it's, you know, a mid-tier guy who's getting more money than he would somewhere else, right. they would go to Phoenix. Mm. But if it comes down to it and it's like, well, you know, the Blazers are offering me $20 million, the Suns are offering $20 million, I'm going to go to Portland because I don't want to deal with Sarver. There you have it. That's I, I think I think the players ultimately talk. And, and look, we've seen some of this with politics and the players who don't. Uh, you know, they don't like the politics of a certain uh, owner in the league. They won't play there. I think yeah, this Robert Sarver thing has got a lot of tentacles. The Players Association is incredibly powerful. Puts Adam Silver in a tough spot, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, he represents the owners, right? Like, that's who he's working for. He's working to make them money. So he's in a real tough spot. Like, he said, I don't, I, you know, he said the things that he had to say, and I don't agree with them, but if I'm in his spot, I would have to say the same things because. He works for those owners. He's trying to make that money. I also wonder if it's a little bit of an example of a lot of the other owners don't want to make waves. Because if you get in a situation where Sarver sues, you could get into discovery. And who mm. knows who else has what out there. Oh, boy. Here you go. Uh, leave it here as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up. Great weekend of college football. Uh, I encourage you to check out the games over the weekend. We'll be back on Monday. If you want to read me, you read me exclusively this weekend at johnconzano.com. Grab that free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you, do that, and uh, I'll be all over it all weekend. Uh, the Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. Grab a podcast if you're a podcaster or you liked an interview on the show. You can always share those interviews with your friends and family, and especially if you're heading to a game over the weekend. Great interview yesterday with Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach. would be a great listen on the way down I-5 or Jonathan Smith on Thursday. He was fantastic as well. You want to listen to the coach on the way to the game? There you go.